here on site at Rogers Kepler in the beautiful White Mountain Center. It's a surprisingly warm day based on the cold weather that we've had last night. This one was nice, but it was chilly. It dropped to like 40 degrees. Very unpleasant. But as usual, you know that. Yes, well, as someone who doesn't like pants or jackets, that sucks. <laughs> I don't know how to tell you. You need to go indoors. That's more or less what I ended up doing. But we are here on site talking to all sorts of interesting people. Now, we have with us right now uh, Alu Axelman of Liberty Block. I mean, you're not a stranger to the show or anything like that. We've had you on the show uh, quite often. So what are you up to these days? Uh, you worked with us extensively on the, the – that would be myself and Ian on NHX, which was a, a an attempt to get a ballot question on – on the ballot, obviously, about whether or not New Hampshire should peaceably declare independence from the United States. And it appears you've recently written a new book uh, called Presumed Guilty. Can you tell me about that? Yeah, that's correct. Thanks for having me on again. It's always a pleasure to be on. And yeah, I, I think you said in the past, it's not in the past, we are still working on NH exit New Hampshire independence movement, and we will continue until we're successful at seceding. And it's going to happen inevitably within the next few years, or the DC Empire will collapse and we'll be independent anyway. Well, I think there's a more, much higher likely uh, likelihood of that. I, I, I'd, I'd like to see a state secede and see what happens, but I mean, we've looked at Palau, we looked at uh, Philippines, both of those seceded from the United States and didn't go particularly well for them, because there's usually a little bit of bitter, bitterness involved. Oh, there would be a lot of bitterness. When yeah. we leave DC, I'm definitely accounting for that. They'll be very bitter, and, and they will probably do everything they can do. Um, I, I do think that overall, at the end of it, will will be successful, though. So as for the latest book I published around four weeks ago, on it's on Amazon. It's called Presumed Guilty, and this one was not going to be about secession. It was going nice. to be all about due process and all the violations of due process in the criminal justice system and criminal law and some administrative and civil, and civil law. But by the end of the book, I realized that like the majority, almost all, like 80, 90 percent of the violations of due process were federal. So it kind of became a secession book when in the final chapter I realized the most reasonable, quickest way, the most likely way to fix all the issues in the book is seceding from D.C., because D.C. is the cause of almost every violation of due process. Right. The due process thing has been interesting to me. I've never really paid a lot of attention to it until, you know, since March of last year when I realized that how the entire system works, it's, it's just hopelessly broken. It's way too easy for prosecutors to secure an indictment against someone they 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 are there's no judge they just convene a grand jury and they cook up whatever charges they want because there's no consequences right. if these charges are frivolous and get thrown out by a judge and the old saying in the legal system is is that the, a prosecutor can get an indictment against a ham sandwich yep. and the suggestion is is that um well you know hey let's i mean it really you can bring felony charges against an American citizen, prevent them from traveling, arrest them, put them under house arrest, do a whole variety of things. And there's no such thing as a speedy trial. I mean, that hasn't existed in the U.S. in decades. Well, you can get a speedy trial, but you have to specifically request to invoke your right to a speedy trial. Sure. And then your lawyer has no way to uh, go through the evidence that they've compiled against right. you over the course of months or whatever. Well, that's assuming what they've actually compiled against you is evidence and, just, and isn't just a bunch of... Uh, white noise that your attorney has to filter through to Indeed. find the actual meaningful stuff. Right. And in, in the case of the Free Talk Live crew, it may very well be that there wasn't a single law broken. But I mean, you know, here's what dozens and dozens of charges. And, um, you know, what are we going to do about it? Well, you're going to go and go to court. 
have fun. Well, presumably we go to court, right? But uh, four of the, well, three of the six accepted plea deals. And this is because this is what the prosecutors really do. And this is the second reason that the system is so broken. They offer you a plea deal. And if you don't accept the plea deal, they make it clear that they're going to bring more charges against you. And we already know how easy, how meaningless it is for them to find charges in the first place. So they can absolutely secure additional charges to bring against someone. It's, no, it's not complicated or difficult for them to do that. So you're already there. You're facing X number of charges. Let's say three charges. And they come to you and say, hey, plead guilty to one of these charges, and we won't bring these other 15 charges against you. And most but, people go, oh, man, well, you've got me there. So they accept the plea deal. Sure. Because it, it, it comes down to a game of chance, essentially, uh, a game of skill and chance, like cards, and you're bluffing and, you know, all this other stuff. It's not about what justice. Justice left the room a century ago. So in what other ways, Alu, has due process just been sort of discarded in the United States? Because yeah, well, well, so interesting about the Crypto 6 case, and go to the Crypto6.com for more info about Ariane, Ian, and the others, is... I mentioned you guys in a few chapters, the chapter on victimless crimes, because you're being charged for using crypto, um, obviously no victim, and the chapter on pretrial bail conditions. That's the big one. There's a whole chapter on pretrial, which for those who don't understand basic English, pretrial means before the trial, meaning before a conviction. So how could someone possibly be punished before conviction? It's obviously a violation of due process. So what Ian and Aria and the others were put through of stripping half their rights. They can't leave the house, can't use cryptocurrency or any drugs or any guns or travel and do so many other things. and can't use technology like Signal. Before being convicted, they're being punished. That's sickening. So I have a whole chapter on pretrial bail conditions, and one of the big parts of the chapter is the Crypto 6. So you guys are involved in a whole bunch of chapters as well as prosecutorial coercion, where I mentioned the 90-97% rates of plea deals and of convictions on the federal level. So there's all of that. But a lot of the other... So the book has 28 chapters. So it's an intro and, and a conclusion, but like That's 26... Lengthy. Yeah. Good job. It's my longest book. Yeah, thank you. It's 70,000 words, so my longest book by far. So the 26 areas of law. So, so we mentioned a few. A few others are qualified immunity. We discussed that and how it violates due process. And there's less... There's more due process and more protection, immunity, for police officers. And I explain that on the civil side. I explain why why police officers and other government agents are very rarely prosecuted for criminal charges because their prosecutors are literally co-workers with police officers and judges also work for the same government. And that was I one also thing have... I kept getting into a, not, not a disagreement with my attorney over, but I had to keep correcting him about it because he would refer to the prosecutors as the government and he would refer to the judge as the court. And I had to repeatedly say, no, 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 look. They're, they're both all the government. government. <laughs> like the prosecutors are the prosecutors, sure, and they're the government, but so is the judge. They're on the same team. Exactly. Here. Convincing people that the court is a neutral arbiter is one of the horrible injustices I think overall they've done to people in government schools. They've convinced us of that. They did it with um, over time, right? So in the same way that our money, uh, people believe it's, or you know, our money has evolved from something that was backed by silver or gold. Our uh, judicial system is something that was separate and is not now. Well, I don't think it was ever really separate, it's was been it? A thousand I mean, years English common law, so it was definitely okay. separate. I, I was <laughs> thinking about the Constitution. You're just say, talking about yeah. somebody who was worthy of being a judge, was considered, you know, um, respectable, and would uh, sit in as basically sort of traveled around to different locations and would uh, hear cases to what we have today. Well, I mean, wasn't it also the case that like there there were a number of different court systems back in the day where there was like if you if you were in the, the guild of merchants or whatever and you violated. A, a merchant tenant that you yep. were tried by the merchant's guild, sure. not like yep. the king and his men. Right. So that would have been a essentially a civil situation. Yeah. 
So you mentioned, Alu, that this was the longest book that you've written. Tell me about some of your other works. Yeah, what we have here in front of us is Corona Fascism. I wrote that a year ago. I have your card from here for last year. I, I found it as I was cleaning out stuff for this year's nice. uh, Porcupine Freedom Festival. So I still have yeah, it. Yeah, so nice. the good news about that is the publisher recently reached out to me and said that the PR team they work with is very interested in the book and wants to try to get me on, on big interviews on, on TV, maybe like stuff like Fox and Newsmax. So oh, that the good news fantastic. is that is that usually they don't allow for like second editions, but they will allow me to because they want the book to be the best it can be before we do interviews. So I'm working on the second edition. It'll have all the new stuff from Vaccine to Shanghai. That is really exciting. I mean, it's true. Getting a second edition is almost unheard of. Yeah, so I'm super excited about that. I'm, I'm writing at warp speed, so I already wrote a few thousand words for, for the a few chapters for the new one. I also have articles of secession, a short book that I wrote mostly for the CACR32. I gave it out to legislators for free. Unfortunately, they didn't read it. So they Clearly did not vote they in favor not. of it. Man, um, that was so yeah, <laughs> so disheartening. You know, I what was it? Thirteen people. Thirteen voted voted not to table it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, not a terrible result considering we did have thirteen state reps vote to allow us, we did the people to decide whether or not we wanted to secede from. Yeah, the but United I think States. the big thing is that the reason, like, like fifty to eighty other reps, voted they and, and actually a lot of them told me they would vote yes. Which is understandable. It's a lot of pressure, obviously. But one of the big things is that a lot of them were listening to that anti-freedom independence guy, Sobrino, Gordon Chase, when he said that they might be charged with obstruction of freedom to yes. So the fact that nobody was charged yet, I think next year a lot more reps will be empowered to yes. There's more coming up. Yes, we talk about it. Bothers the people at Rogers Campground way more than it does me, but like there's a lot of people here. There are a lot of people here, and they're all going to produce effluence, and I hope for the best. Uh, you know, later on in the week, the I'm I've been to many uh, Porcupine Freedom Festivals, and this feels like a Friday, not a Tuesday. You're you're absolutely right. Well, we're joined now by Alu Axman, who worked with us on NH Exit and what continues to work with us on NH Exit because we're now giving up on the ideas of New Hampshire secession at this point, and author of multiple books including the most recent Presumed Guilty, which is available on Amazon. So you mentioned that your book, Corona Fascism, is uh, being promoted by the publisher and all of that stuff. Tell me about the book, because being a libertarian, I see all of the mechanisms that the state came up with for, quote, fighting the coronavirus is easily usable for the oppression of the masses. But I imagine most people don't see that. Is that what your book is about, trying to explain to these people how, hey, look, this this tracking system that the government has got, this contact tracing, that's what they called it, yep. system that they come up with, it can very easily be a way for them to find all of the people who have this political ideology and who share that ideology and all of their friends, because they do this in China. The Chinese government does this mm -hmm. to people. If you speak out, they kill everyone you've had contact with. <laughs> right. Maybe not kill them, but, but, but they, they disappear. Like, so what makes perfectly good sense is, is that there would be, um, hey, ladies and gentlemen, 
there could be another pandemic coming, and it's just around the corner. They're so already we, saying that. Right. Yeah, it's monkeypox, right? What, whatever. Well, monkeypox got put on hold for Pride Month, right? <laughs> monkeypox on hold for Pride Month. <laughs> yeah, so um, we have to be prepared, and the best thing is, is for us to just do tracking now. So just open up your iPhones. You're already carrying the tracking device. All we need is uh, your permission. All we need to do is click yes um, and uh, to our terms of service, and now we're in good shape. Yeah, under the guise of, of coronavirus, coronafascism, the federal government, governments around the world, state and local governments, took away more freedom and privacy than maybe ever before in the span of a year or two. In such a quick span, they took away like decades or centuries worth of freedom and privacy, and, and that's you know the, the broad concept. In the book, I explain all the specifics of that. But yeah, contact tracing, the surveillance is extremely disturbing. I also have a chapter in that book about how you're presumed guilty because you're presumed to have the virus. So in basic law, you are presumed to be innocent, or in this case, we'll say you're presumed to not have the virus. But with COVID, they presume everyone is not only sick, but also contagious. And even if you get a positive, the problem is even if you get a test, that's right. negative. Even they, if you prove yeah. your innocence, yep. it doesn't matter. And that happened to me here in New Hampshire. I came uh, for, in part, a dental appointment, and uh, they asked me, well, have you been in the state for 14 days? As though that's important as to whether or not you have COVID. This is the state of New Hampshire for 14 days? This is the dental office, and have I been in the uh, the geographic area known as the state of New Hampshire for 14 days? Right? Well, viruses respect borders. They, they care clearly. deeply about it. And um, so, you know... I'm like, no, but I have this test that I've been on the airplane uh, that I had took, you know, like three days ago, five days ago, whatever it was, um, that says that, in fact, I don't have COVID. So that should be plenty, right? I've been here since taking this uh, this test, right? That's good enough? No, absolutely not. We have rules, and you're going to infect and kill the whole office. Hey, you know, as, as though being in New Hampshire was somehow a safer thing. To be fair, though, didn't you recently get sick? I've been sick a couple of times, but uh, probably, I, I mean, I certainly got COVID, but that was in March 2021. Have you taken a COVID test since? Getting ill? Or, I mean, since that initial test. Yes. Like this most recent time that you were ill, did you take a COVID test? I didn't take one. No. Yeah, I don't blame you. I, I wouldn't have either. But I, uh, you know. But the rules and the regulations surrounding all of this nonsense never made any sense. Like this whole... You, what, but I don't even want to talk about the, the silliness of the rules because we, we talked about that extensively on Free Talk Live. I would rather talk about how it, with, a, with a flick of a pen, governors throughout the United States declared themselves to have the power to shut down entire industries but who, if, on if, a whim. It's out of curiosity. Given the um, emergency powers that the United States wanted governors to have, if— they can't with the flick of a pen. Who can? No one. That a, no a one should be able to do that. I, I, as a voluntarist, I would say no one should shut down a business by coercion. But but we don't live in a legis uh, voluntarist. But, uh, yeah, government. but but according to the statist, they would say. You know, Mark, you're smart. I know you know this. Legislature has the same root as legislator and the same root as legislation. Uh -huh. You know, a lot of people don't don't know that, right? So legislators are supposed to make legislation. So the problem is whenever they say there's an emergency, which, by the way, on the federal level, there are still like 47 emergencies, national emergencies still in effect, some of which were declared by Jimmy Carter. <laughs> so, yeah. I, I don't doubt that there's even yeah. more than uh, what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, and on the state level, the there are more. So whenever they say the word emergency, they get to shut down the legislature yep. and, and then rule by executive fiat like a certain high chancellor with a German accent 80 years ago. Yeah, I think that we need um, – I think that there needs to be – we need instances like this to allow the American public and the American legislature to under, American legislatures mm -hmm. to understand that, hey, 
maybe there's some refinement that can be done to this system because the idea that one person should be making mm-hmm. these decisions, and I have a lot of value for one person running a system. I think it's a good thing in many cases, but once it gets large and people are like, hey, you know, why can't I, why do I have to go out of business and have my kids and my lives ruined because you handed out some, you know, dumb rule that doesn't apply to me? It's absolutely bizarre. I, as I understand it, though, New Hampshire has taken steps within the last legislative session to dial back some of the powers of God King Sununu. I'm, I'm not exactly sure what those were. but There, there was, was a tiny emergency reform bill, so there's a lot of legislative um, inside baseball and drama that happened over the last year. Last it has year, been a to wild get the year. budget to pass, he said that let's just pass the budget. So the, they passed the big budget bill, which has a lot of laws in it, for better or for worse. Sununu signed it, and it had, I think, no emergency reform for the state of emergency powers of a governor. But then he said he, he wrote a letter, an open letter, promising that next year I'll support certain reforms, like limiting the, the length and, and, and allowing the legislature, like one chamber, I believe, to vote to end an emergency. Um, that got watered down more, and then they finally passed that bill this year, and then I believe that was the bill he just vetoed, right? So the one thing he, he promised, the whole big thing, pass it this year, next year I'll do this, and we all fell for it because politicians have never lied about that, right? Next year I'll do it. So I was skeptical, but he wrote a letter, and, and then they passed the bill that was even weaker than the one that would have limited emergency powers that he said he would sign, and he vetoed it. I mean, I don't blame you for being skeptical. At any moment during all of this, if Sununu was like, you know what, a governor shouldn't have this level of authority, he could have undone the executive order. So I, I don't believe for a minute that he was like, he truly under the impression that his powers needed to be scaled back because he could have at any time chosen to just not exercise them. But, of course, he's God King Sununu. His, his, his excellency is the terminology that he likes to put yeah. on the top of his I really decrees. don't – I don't understand emergency powers as someone who's literally been in emergency medicine for like 11, 12 years now. If there's, if there's one thing I kind of know a little bit about, I'm a professional, is emergencies. Emergency, by definition, can't be two years long. If there's right. an emergency, it's in a day, either you know my patient has died, or in this case, um, either everyone has died of coronavirus, or it's over. So saying there's an emergency, so he kept the state of emergency for 16 months. So for 16 months, the legislature did not For 16 months, businesses Free Talk Live's video archives have been on Library for years. Library is an uncensorable, decentralized, blockchain-based media sharing protocol, and we're big fans of it here on Free Talk Live. In 2020, Library launched Odyssey, a video sharing website to compete with YouTube, and it's really taking off. Now with over 1 million channels, many of whom are disaffected YouTube creators. During YouTube's crackdown for not towing the government line on COVID, the Free Talk Live YouTube channel started receiving strikes and could be completely taken down at any moment. Thankfully, Odyssey started offering live streaming, so we're now streaming live every night and posting our video archives permanently to Odyssey. You can watch live or anytime on our Odyssey channel by visiting video.freetalklive.com. If you want to go all in, download the desktop app at lbry.com, and then every video archive you watch, you'll help seed and keep it online forever. At minimum, we ask you visit video.freetalklive.com and follow us on Odyssey today. Video.freetalklive.com. Yeah! 
Well, they don't call it the Porcupine Theater Festival. They call it Porcupine. I call it the Porcupine Theater Festival because I also take part in this festival called Fork Fest, yep. which isn't short for anything, which it gets very confusing when you say Pork Fest and Fork Fest and you're doing it on the radio and you talk kind of quickly. You end up with a lot of confusion. So just Porcupine Freedom Festival. Pork Fest sounds a lot like a, uh, you know, a barbecue festival. Well, so does Fork Fest. And it doesn't, uh, it doesn't really welcome in our Jewish friends or our exactly. Muslim friends. <laughs> so I like to say Porcupine Freedom Festival because that way at the least people have a reference if I happen to slip and say Pork Fest. That's true. Uh, I mean, Forkfest kind of has the same issue. Those our logo for Forkfest is even two forks crossed over. But yes. I mean, it's not a food festival. No, but neither is Porkfest, the Porcupine Freedom Festival. Pork is short for porcupine, obviously, which is why we keep saying Porcupine Freedom Festival. But there's an enormous crowd here, and it's good to be here. And we're joined now by Alu Axelman, author of several books, most recently Presumed Guilty, which is about how due process in the United States has been just absolutely discarded, thrown into the trash in several different ways. So, Alu, thank you for joining us. We were just talking about the the actions taken by Governor Sununu in New Hampshire, because you've written this other book called Corona Fascism, we got into that a little bit, about the executive, the attempts by Governor Sununu to cling to his power while saying that he would, he would sign a bill that was designed to limit his, his authority. So you were telling us a bit about the history there, what was going yeah, on. Yeah, I think that original law was passed to give the governor some emergency powers, because before that he had none. After 9-11, when I think the governor, for some reason, was in New York for, for a conference or something, and he was kind of stuck there, 9-11 happened, and there was no one running the state. And there was an emergency, at least in New York, and there was no one to run the state. And I think that was the issue. So a uh, senator proposed a bill, and he passed it for that reason. So 9-11, everyone in the world would probably agree that was an emergency. Um, I would say an emergency, another type would be a massive typhoon or maybe even hurricane destroying half of New Hampshire, for a day you can declare an emergency. Or if a missile is inbound, you can declare an emergency in that you can send an intercepting defensive missile. But a virus for 16 months is not an emergency. That, that is there for like a missile is incoming and you need to act in the next two seconds. You can't get the legislature to convene. Let me push back a little bit on it. So um, the, the premise that we were fed was that this virus, uh, this Frankenbug flies through the air and it's uh, you know, wiping us out. Don't, don't forget to leave your groceries in the uh, garage for three days. Um, you, know, you did that. this, right? Yep. I, I, I did a lot of this stuff. I mean, a lot of Americans did all this stuff. Um, well, see, I didn't on. do any of it. I, I went to more parties. I engaged in more social activity. I hung out with more people and I didn't wear a mask. And I probably washed my hands less during the pandemic than I ordinarily do i certainly have uh you know picked up a, a habit of washing my hands even more frequently than i did before there's nothing but, wrong with that i would encourage people to wash their hands more frequently but um you know i was, I was doing the mask thing i was i remember uh, being told don't pick up that garbage it could have the thing on it right so it was, it was super crazy right and the um legislators certainly didn't want to get together in the legislative uh buildings in order to the pass the laws um so no, didn't, in new hampshire didn't they use like a base Ball field or something like that to host a legislative session. Yeah, there were in some sports complexes and some other big places outside of Concord, which for various reasons is illegal. So everything passed during those those sessions, according to some legislators, are probably unconstitutional because uh, the people weren't allowed to be there and stuff. Without well, they, the uh, with, so I guess my question is: is how do you get the legislators together if there's a virus going around that has um, that you know that's infecting? I mean, people definitely died. You know, um, I'm not well, if there's a virus going around that's infecting and killing people to the extent where the legislature cannot convene, then I would suggest that the people have bigger problems to and deal they, with. Again, than they laws. can and do do these things via video chat. They definitely did committee hearings. I don't know about full house sessions, but they could. Again, we. 
have well, technology for that. Relatively new, in, this, yeah. in so much as say the last ten years tops. Yeah, so thirty years ago you'd have a strong argument, I think. Yeah. But now when then everyone is it legal though on, vi- on video chat? I mean, uh, for committees it is, and yeah, they, and they could pass a law. You know, they could pass a bill to to allow for a Zoom for emergencies. But sixteen months for a virus that's that's not. Killing tons of people again. If it were killing eighty percent of people, it touches, and it killed a million people in New Hampshire. That would be a different story. Oh yeah, absolutely. I I mean, I'm I'm only trying to look at you know. I'm not saying that this is the pandemic, but it was certainly an interesting test for a pandemic. For sure. And I feel like, or felt like at one point in time, I don't know that I feel this way anymore. If there's an argument for the state, the best argument for the state is a global pandemic, Mm -hmm. because that way you can presumably control humans a little better. Obviously, they did a terrible job at it. Hopefully, we can learn something from the uh, the whole experience i don't know what it is we can learn i hope that it, what we learn isn't you know tyranny works well tyranny <laughs> demonstrably didn't work right like if you compare these states look look at china the most yep. locked down the most tyrannical place and they still can't get down to zero covid yep. in shanghai or any of these other places they locked down so that's the most extreme version of lockdowns and masking and social distancing that you could possibly have and even that didn't work. So how could these half-assed measures, like the bar can only be open until midnight instead of one o'clock, yeah. or this store can only have an ocu- maximum occupancy of 80 instead of 120, how could that possibly work when the most extreme version didn't? The most effective thing seemed to have been if you lived on an island and they said no planes, no boats, no whatevers, in and out, then... Um, you know, they managed to keep it off for a while. But now the COVID's w- wiping through these places. Exactly. You w- can't keep it out forever unless you, you, <laughs> you know. stay an island forever. So yeah, I'm just saying the most effective thing. Yeah. yeah. I'm not sure that was ever effective. Like places like New Zealand and Australia, they they did try that. There, there was did, no reason coming and going. Because like most viruses, I think, that there's an incubation period and a period before symptoms and, and, and you could still be contagious maybe. Yeah. So that's they, the uh, issue. They I mean, weren't the at all successful, Mark. Yes, New, they were. No, they weren't. New Zealand freaked out because one guy in the middle in the middle of New Zealand had COVID-19, right? Okay, but that's a fair question. But he could not, by definition, have been patient zero. He called it from someone else. Sure. So they weren't successful. They just didn't keep track of all of them because not everyone was being tested or whatever when they had the sniffles. Well, (laughs) what I would say is, is in fact, that they were far more successful in uh, staving off the deaths than um, the United States or mainland anything was. They may have dragged them out over a longer time frame, but I'm not sure. The virus did manage to become less and less deadly over time, so uh, history worked in their uh, their favor in this circumstance. But it might have been worse, and then there was nothing they could do and wipe them out anyway. Was it? Ever particularly deadly? I'm, I'm not sure the actual statistics. I think, will... and that's what I want to talk about. Oh, I, oh. I talk about it a lot in the book about the tests and how the tests overinflated the numbers of uh, cases and deaths and hospitalizations. I agree with that. Yeah. So, so, so the, the, the big ways they, I think there are three big ways they inflated the deaths by as much as you know, hundredfold or thousandfold, maybe or maybe a millionfold. Is first they used the PCR test that cycled, meaning uh, amplified, like doubled the the sample. Just like 40, 45 cycles where it doubles it every time instead of like 20, 25, which is recommended by PCR, manufacturer, inventor, everyone recommends that. So right away, that might have gotten you to like 99% false positives maybe. I don't know. Way false positives. And we also learned that these PCR tests can't tell the difference between the flu and COVID-19. Yep. Yeah, yeah I learned that I, I two years ago. Confirmed yet, they don't, I don't think, but but just the fact that it inflates so much is a tremendous issue. Um, and that they, they admitted a few years later, but I have to look into the, the flu issue because that it's very, it's very complicated. And again, I'm, I'm not an immunologist, but another big thing that actually caused more 
core, inflation of the numbers, I believe, is using symptoms. So sometimes mm. in medicine, we'll use, we'll use symptoms where if there's a very specific symptom that's, that's called pathognomonic for a certain disease, we, we can get, say, pretty much with 100% certainty, if you have that symptom, it could be that disease. It's like the loss rare. of taste and smell. Yeah, yeah that's not 100% pathognomonic. It's pretty, pretty specific to COVID, but other things can cause that, obviously. Well, I don't know. I, I experienced that, and it was such a complete... I mean, it wasn't it's so like... weird. Yeah, 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 it's weird. You, you sort of lose your sense of taste and smell when you have a cold, it, but it just sort of gets weaker and it gets weird. With COVID-19, it was an absolute yeah. lack. And some get it, some it's don't. It's offensive what COVID did to my coffee. Like, I was, you yeah. know, here I am drinking a <laughs> cup of coffee and this is... This is awful. You know, yeah, like, so the problem is it with symptoms. badly. I just didn't taste anything. There are, there are a lot of symptoms that are very general that are yeah. present in like most illnesses. Weakness. Rapid heart rate over 100 is considered rapid in medicine. Um, or a slow heart rate. Rapid breathing. So breathing over 20 times is considered ra- uh, tachypnea in medicine. So these are things that are very general. Fever, weakness, nausea, f- rapid heart rate. These are things that are so common that if you can't say if they have this, it's for sure, it's for sure COVID. In a hospital, probably 99% of people have had either fever, weakness, or nausea, or tachycardia in the last 24 hours. The problem is they, they thought that if you have any of these symptoms, they made it so that if you have them, we're going to be 100% sure you have COVID. You know, we don't even have to test for it when it was too much COVID. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. I'll, uh, people can follow you at libertyblock.com. Is there anything else you'd like to promote while you're here? Just the books, libertyblock.com, allowaxman.com as well, and look at independence, and independence.org, and it's and all those good sites. Thank you so much. There's more coming up here. It is Free Talk Live. a glimpse of like maybe 40 feet way over here to my left so if people are going to one particular part of the campground that's just how busy and packed the place is this year it's absolutely incredible we're joined now by those suzanne who uh you started a trail mix company called truth smacks yes and one of the things i really like about it is lately i've been paying attention to the to what i actually put into my body you know through most of my life i just did what most americans do just yeah. had some mcdonald's here and some dominoes there whatever didn't really pay any attention to it. but recently mm-hmm. i've been paying attention and i i really prefer things that are organic and not not overly modified and yeah. your ingredients for your trail mix uh, they meet that criteria mm-hmm. So you're the owner and founder of Truth Smacks. Yes. What inspired you to pursue this project? Uh, well, when I was teaching in South Korea, I um, I used to make my trail mix for my friends, and they all raved about it. And then when I left my job in South Korea after 20 years, I I wasn't sure what to do. And, and I always had these quotes at the end of my emails as kind of my signature line and I often got compliments back from random people saying I love your quotes and so it, I just uh, decided to marry the two together um, and okay. make my own trail mix with quotes on the back. Just out of curiosity I've spent a very little time in Korea is trail mix a thing there? Um, no. So I mean you have to if you want trail mix if you want to go hiking um, or, or just have trail mix generally. and You have to make it yourself. You have to make it yourself. Yeah. yeah. That's why. That makes a lot of sense to me. And 
what about so your trail mix? I mean, you can get regular uh, mm-hmm. truce mix, but you can also get the uh, spearmint or peppermint. Uh, peppermint version? infused. Yeah, peppermint yeah. infused. Yes. When did you decide to start doing that? Because that <laughs> I think is what's most special about your uh, trail mix. Yeah. Well, I think I'm the only uh, peppermint infused trail mix in the world. I haven't seen it anywhere. I don't know what inspired me. I just decided. You know, I use essential oils, and I I love peppermint and. One day I just thought, oh, I wonder, I, I slapped um, a, a pad um, with some peppermint oil on my bag and I left it for a couple of days and then it fused throughout the trail mix and I was like, ooh, this is kind of nice. And so I started giving that to my friends and they were like, wow, I love the peppermint. <laughs> so I thought, huh, maybe I could sell it. <laughs> So what amazes me about this is that you've got all of the nutrition facts. I've never made any sort of, you know, prepared food or anything like that in this capacity. I I can only imagine what sort of government hoops you had to jump through in order to get this packaged and, you know, approved to be sold in stores or whatever. Because Mm -hmm. I know there's a lot of people selling, like, uh, sauces they made and Mm -hmm. jellies and stuff that they made. And they don't have any of these nutrition facts on there. They usually say yeah. they have a sticker on them instead that says something like, this isn't available for sale, so it doesn't have to have right. the nutrition yep. mm-hmm. information. How, what, what was that process like? Can you sort of step me through it just in broad strokes? <laughs> uh, sure, yeah. It was quite the process. Um, well, so, yeah, I just had to get my nutritional information straight. So I found a website where you just type in the ingredients and the quantity, and then they populate the nutritional information for you for a price, of course. But nice, I was like, though. I, yeah. I wouldn't expect it to be that convenient. Okay. It was very convenient. Yeah. yeah. I forget the name of the website. Ooh, it might come to me. Anyway, um, and then, you know, I had to get the UPC codes. And, yeah, I mean, if I'm selling person to person, I don't have to do it. I don't have to make it in a commercial kitchen. But if you're going to sell anything online across state borders or even internationally, it has to be made in a commercial kitchen. I had to be observed by the USDA and get their stamp of approval. Um, and this is this is to sell trail, trail mix. mix. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, it's it's important to remember that, Raisins. right? But, that's, yeah. That's, yeah, that's the level yeah. of tyranny we really live under. Where, <laughs> it's crazy. I mean, it is crazy. You, you can't, I, I like to use the example of you can't even use the bathroom in the United States without there just being a myriad of regulations involved. Mm. If, if, like the type of toilet, the light bulbs, everything yeah. involved in this process is heavily regulated by the U.S. government. And people don't realize it. Mm-hmm. And here we have something. It's trail mix. <laughs> And you had to have someone from the USDA there monitoring you while you made this mm-hmm. trail mix. It's absolutely insane. Yep. That's bureaucracy for you. <laughs> it's it out of control. So how long did that process take? Because you mentioned it is, in fact, a bureaucracy. And if there's mm-hmm. anything bureaucracies are, they're, they're slow. Right. So how long from applying for this to happen did it take for you to actually get someone from the government in your house so you could, you know, build this company mm. well they they actually they went to the commercial kitchen and observed me there and so that's what know, i meant sorry yeah that's okay so i had to be i had to find the commercial kitchen and, and then um apply and pay for that and i had to find a commercial kitchen who would take me i've been turned down by several commercial kitchens because of too small of an operation or no just well, there's you nothing know. to cook in trail mix. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, I mean, exactly. I'm just using a table. 
I'm using a table to mix, and, and, and that's and, a, that's also a fault of regulations. And again, we need to come right back to that because yeah, there's nothing here that's baked, right? It's the, right. The, the closest thing to anything in there that's actually cooked is the chocolate, and right. you buy that wholesale. Mm-hmm. You don't make the chocolate yourself, right? So what I guess part the raisins are dried? Isn't that a form of cooking? I suppose. I mean, there's probably yeah, some the dates are dry. Do you dry the raisins yourself? I don't. I buy them in bulk. Well, see that yeah. that place right. would have to be licensed mm. in a it's, commercial mm. kitchen. Or whatever. Mixing cooked food. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And for mixing that, prepared food. you have to have a commercial. That that's just an enormous. Co- well, I don't know what the actual cost is of having a commercial kitchen, but it's not one that you should have to burden to yeah. do something as simple as. Not, not, I don't want to make. It, I don't want to make it sound simple because I imagine <laughs> there's a, actually quite a bit of work that goes into it. And it's probably yeah. not as simple no, as one would a, like to think. But it's it's not like you're you're whipping up you know souffle. Yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> It's yeah. uh, it's it's trial and error, I would imagine, as far as ingredients go, right? I mean, you're just putting together, deciding how much chocolate, how mm-hmm. many raisins. Uh, you know, you don't want too many. You don't want not enough. That's true. I will admit, I'm not scientific about how okay. much. I- <laughs> really? So yeah, I'm you might get you a bag any- that has a lot of chocolate. You might get a bag that. See, I prefer that. I'm right? sorry. I got a lot of chocolate <laughs> in mine. It was great. I prefer that because Good. that makes it feel less like I buy. Look, if I buy trail mix from, you know, insert company, whatever, yeah, from yeah. Kroger or whatever, I know that they have this giant mm-hmm. apparatus that yeah, puts sure. in everything in exactly the same quantities right. and it separates it into exactly the same amounts. It's like, there's no creativity. There's no inspiration there. There's no chance that I'm going to find anything that's, well, this is a particularly good bag of trail mix. I'm really <laughs> glad I bought it, right? Starburst, I think, does something similar, right? I prefer the pink Starburst. Who doesn't? But I hate the lemon ones. Sometimes you get a bag of Starburst. I like like, the orange ones. It's like half lemon, and it's disgusting. (laughs) (laughs) But Starburst is almost unique in that regard. I can't think of too many other other candies or snacks that actually have Hmm. a variety that isn't 100% predictable. Uh, I never thought about that. (laughs) No, I like the cherry, too. I, I like them all except the lemon, to be but, fair. Yeah, I haven't had a Starburst oh. in, in probably at least a year. Um, I won't uh, forego uh, treats, but I I just try to take them light. And that's one of the reasons I like the trail mix is that if I want a sweet snack, I can get it. That's true. And it's healthy. Yes. Yeah. Or healthier, <laughs> certainly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you managed to succeed in finding chocolate that did not contain soy. Mm-hmm. That, yeah, that, now that's there's a w- trick. That's one of the things that impressed me. I don't avoid soy myself, but uh, uh, Bonnie and Ian, who also do the show here, they they, they evidently do. And it, it would mm. seem that it's extremely difficult to find chocolate that doesn't have soy in it. Yeah. Do you know why people want to, I, I don't know. Why do people want to avoid soy? Um. Well, because most of it is GMO, it's hard to okay. find organic soy, and it does have an estrogenic effect if okay. you eat too much of it. Oh, yeah. this is why the whole soy boy thing. Right, you know, okay. yeah. I uh, poked Ian in the belly while I was uh, yeah. there over last week. Um, and Like, woohoo, poking him in the belly? Yeah, okay. that kind of thing. The guy is solid now. I don't know what happened in the la- yeah. last year and a half, but he is, I mean, mm. whatever he's doing, he's doing exactly right. He's carrying almost no body fat. Wow. And he's so always, like, he's been, been thin, but he ha- always had a little, he, he had a little belly over the course of the huh. last couple of years. And then okay. I think it's Bonnie's influence, personally. She cares very much about diet and, mm. and these sorts of things. So Aww. maybe avoiding soy. Yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe that or something. Uh, certainly that and something. I don't know what, if anything. So how how are you finding the Porcupine Fest? This is your first year, mm-hmm. right? How are you yeah. finding the festival? 
It's awesome. I've met a lot of really cool people. Everyone is freedom-oriented. Um, yeah, I, I've never seen such a gathering of people who are pro-liberty, pro Join liberty-minded voluntarists, anarchists, and libertarians from June 27th through July 3rd for the 6th annual ForkFest at Rogers Campground in the beautiful White Mountains of New Hampshire. ForkFest is a fork of the Porcupine Freedom Festival, which sold out for the first time in 2021. ForkFest takes place the week after ForkFest, but ForkFest is decentralized, which means that there's no ticket cost and no one is in charge. All you have to do to join the fun is reserve your camping site, RV site, or motel room with Rogers Campground for June 27th through July 3rd. There's no better place to celebrate Independence Day than around other freedom-loving activists in the Shire. You can find out more at the unofficial website, forkfest.party. You can also connect with other attendees on the ForkFest Telegram and Matrix chat rooms, as well as the ForkFest forum. You can find links to those at forkfest.party. We hope to see you there. Forkfest.party. Free Talk Live. It is Free Talk Live from the Porcupine Freedom Festival here. Day two, and the crowd continues to get larger every, every moment. There, there's stuff here this year that I've never seen before. I haven't even taken a full tour of the because I've got a lot of stuff in the I did tend to tour the camera. I went around it last night. I was just shocked by the number of people already here. And today's even bigger, and tomorrow's every day this week, there is going to be a continuing trail of people coming in. And it's absolutely amazing to be here and to be a part of it. Now, I'm Ariant, and I'm joined by Mark. I am. I've been coming to the Porcupine Freedom Festival now for over. I guess I've been more than 10 times there. We're, not, we're on, what, number 19, so 20 years of yep. uh, pork fests, because there is a zero. Um, something, the night on the Palisades or something like that is what it was called. Um, it's all very confusing, but yeah, basically. It's all very confusing, yes. And then there's a the Fork Fest, which is a fork of the Porcupine Freedom Festival, because, well, libertarians can't get along. And <laughs> Well... I, I, I don't know about that. Libertarians can get along, but I mean, it, it reminds me of very much of the Libertarian Party, right? Uh, the, the reason the Libertarian Party and its people, they, they fight so viciously over these scraps that they get, that this 3%, not even 3%, this 1%, 2% of the vote that they get, they fight so viciously over it, just like starving wolves fight <laughs> viciously over, you know, a tiny scrap of food. This dog here, my dog, she's not going to fight anyone over her food because she's well-fed. Because there's more coming. Yes. But for the Libertarian Party and for, you know, the Free State Project, they, they began to feel a success, and then they felt like something was threatening to detract from that success, and it filled them with with rage and anger, and they were like, no, we're, we're banning one of the people who has been behind the Free State Project migration for the last 15 years this of course being ian freeman yeah our longtime co-host yeah because he was he ref, as i understand it he refused to say that he was 
molested or something along those lines. He, he engaged in some sort of sexual activity with an older person when he was younger. Yep. And he said, oh, no, I consented to this. Mm-hmm. And the Porcupine Freedom Festival or some people on the Free State Project Board got really upset because he wouldn't say that he was groomed or molested or violated or raped or whatever terminology they wanted to use. And he was like, no, I consented to it. So right. they banned him for a year. Oh. Well, they banned him for a year, but told him it was for life. Did they tell him it was for life? Okay, I, did, yeah. I didn't and know that. And then um, he basically uh, quit the Free State Project as a result. Understandably. Of course, why wouldn't you? <laughs> and um, more or less ended up, you know, this this five-year-long, uh, you know, thing where you know, Porkfest is like, well, maybe you can come back. Well, maybe I want to come back. Well, maybe I do want to come back. Maybe, you know, it's just kind of going back and forth. And so now he's... Um, now he's invited to speak. We've come full circle now. Well, I mean, you you kind of have to have him here speaking this year based on, you know, what happened last year, which was the raid on the Crypto Six, where um, myself, Ian, and four other people were arrested on March the 16th and charged with a, with a litany of different uh, alleg- alleged offenses, things like operating an unlicensed money transmitting business, conspiracy to operate an unlicensed money transmitting right. business, because they, they like to tack on that conspiracy charge, apparently. So, and, you know, it allows them to pad it up, yeah. Last year at the Porcupine Freedom Festival, the main pavilion down there was the Crypto 6 Pavilion. Now, it was hard to know that because it wasn't really branded that way. There was like a a, a sign or something over in the corner that was... Yeah. Mean, there was some sort of dispute about how that played out. But they did end up getting me speaking there, I think, on Saturday of last year. It was really early in the morning, and... I'm not particularly proud of what I ended up doing. I'm hoping Ian has something better. But this year, it's going to be Ian there because, like, after all of that, when you have some of your most your most well-known voices of liberty, easily recognizable people in the liberty movement get arrested by the FBI and then stare down, you know, refuse to take plea deals and stare down a federal trial. If you're a libertarian, you kind of got to talk about that. Really, you don't, you shouldn't just uh, you, know, um, you know ride the wave that that person created and sort of ignore it uh, and uh, you know enjoy all the good stuff and forget all the bad stuff because that seems like what the Free State Project wants to do. I, I don't know. I, I'm not sure. I mean, they got Ian coming here speaking, and he's doing a presentation, I believe, on the history of Free Talk Live. Except it's more about what has happened since Free Talk Live moved to New Hampshire. And since the FBI started paying attention to right. Free Talk Live, which has been going on for, you know, six, seven years at this point. Oh, it's more than that. Well, it's been documented to yeah. be at least six. Or, oh, I guess it has been longer than that yeah, documented been, at this point. Yeah, the, uh, the, there's a, a particular FBI agent that just uh, has a has a stick up his butt about Ian Freeman. Yeah, I think the way you characterize it uh, best, uh, Ahab and his white whale. His white whale, whale. Yeah. yeah. It's, uh, you know, you, you really see it. I mean, he's willing to sacrifice everything in order to get Ian. Just a creature that is wild and free and, um, you know, just doesn't concern itself with whatever's the, you know, the machinations of the state. He just goes about and does his thing. <laughs> and if, if you're not hurting anyone... And, and he hasn't, by any evidence. No, and no one's making the claim. But I don't want to get too deeply into that particular yeah. subject. But it's just amazing here how the whole community sort of comes together behind it. Even, even though there isn't any real impact at this point. Once, once trial starts, you know, I'm curious. Will, 
will Porkfest move to the courthouse, basically? Well, I don't know. Um, I wouldn't want my future based on, you know, how uh, how many people show up. And I wouldn't want... Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's it's this is uh, this is terrifying stuff, honestly, for you and Ian and uh, you know these. I consider you guys my family, you people my family, and I want you know very much for these outcomes to you know not be bad. I hope we don't even have a court case, and I think that that's still a possibility. I mean, anything's possible at this point, but until then, you know, we are going to be continuing to spread the ideas of liberty, decentralized currency, free alternatives to the warmongering USD, the war dollar, as I like to call it. But Ian, of course, is going to be here Friday for the Porcupine Freedom Festival. We're here every day, and we're going to be here through Fork Fest. It's actually surprising to me to look around. Now, when you come to Rogers Campground, if you're actually entering the campground, they give you an orange sticker to put on your vehicle. Yep. And it's, it lists your departure dates for whatever reason. I, I don't know why they do it that way, but whatever. It, it allows us to go through and look and see how many people are expecting to stay for Fork Fest. And how many are leaving at the end of the Porcupine Freedom Festival? Like I mentioned, the, the Wormtown trailer here next to us, who I was worried wasn't going to be here, they're staying all the way through Fork Fest. So I'm, oh, good. I'm excited about that. And there, there's a surprising number, more than I would have expected, of people who are staying through Fork Fest. And you can't make it to the Porcupine Freedom Festival. If you don't already have a ticket, you're out. You can't do it. You yep. can buy a ticket for next year, presumably. I, I imagine those are available on their website. It would be silly if not, but who knows? I don't know how you'd get a ticket anyway. I mean, I wouldn't be able to, you know. Well, when someone I, says, no, it's not possible, I mean, my mind immediately begins trying to figure out how it is possible. But. Well, I have an extra ticket, presumably, that I could sell to someone. But it, it would be. They'd have to find you, and you're inside Porkfest, and yeah, that couldn't be very easy. It would be a lot of trouble for me as well, for me to, you know. Probably because the tickets, when I bought them, they were $195 a piece. Good heavens. So even if even if I charge someone $200 for that, was, it, was that right? That can't be right. I don't know what they were. It is too. I, I, I tend to think so. At any rate, uh, you, you're not going to be able to find a ticket unless it's on the black market. Then I have no idea what you're going to be paying. But we are here, so come down and hang out with us. You can find out about what we're doing at ForkFest.Party. There's more coming up here. It is Free Talk Live. Join liberty-minded voluntarists, anarchists, and libertarians from June 27th through July 3rd for the 6th Annual ForkFest at Rogers Campground in the beautiful White Mountains of New Hampshire. ForkFest is a fork of the Porcupine Freedom Festival, which sold out for the first time in 2021. ForkFest takes place the week after ForkFest, but ForkFest is decentralized, which means that there's no ticket cost and no one is in charge. All you have to do to join the fun is reserve your camping site, RV site, or motel room with Rogers Campground for June 27th through July 3rd. There's no better place to celebrate Independence Day than around other freedom-loving activists in the Shire. You can find out more at the unofficial website, ForkFest.Party. You can also connect with other attendees on the ForkFest Telegram and Matrix chat rooms, as well as the ForkFest Forum. You can find links to those at ForkFest.Party. We hope to see you there. Forkfest.party. This is the most recent episode of Free Talk Live, presented by SACL CAI. Get interactive at freetalklive.com.
saw it, I was like, man, that's beautiful. It is beautiful. It looked familiar, and I wanted to make sure it's it, the chakras. It was indeed the one that I bought a little while ago. So that good, good choice on my part. Anyway, we are here at the Porcupine Freedom Festival. You're 19, evidently, and it's last year was big. This year is uh, is it appears to be on track to be even bigger. With you in the studio, well, not in the studio, with you on site tonight, it's Aria. And Mark. And we're joined now by Alex. Uh, Alex, tell me tell me about yourself and what brings you to the Porcupine Freedom Festival? Sure. Thanks for having me. Uh, my name's Alex Voss, and I'm here uh, on behalf of the Free Cities Foundation. The Free Cities Foundation is uh, a group looking to build uh, alternative forms of governance across the globe. So these range from you know, things like your generic uh, intentional city to charter cities um, to prosperity zones and ultimately uh, free private cities where we really uh, take a lot of the autonomy away from governments uh, into a for-profit provider of governance services. So... The free private cities, we advertise them a lot on Free Talk Live. I, I don't know to what extent you are involved with this, Mark. I, I'm a, a supporter and okay. I'm involved. So, um, yeah, I love the idea of the free, uh, free private cities. When you're talking about a, a service provider as a city, this isn't such a crazy idea. If you think about, for instance, uh, a resort like Club Med, one of these uh, resorts that can house thousands of people. Sure. A cruise ship. Again, thousands of people. These are basically cities, or at least at the very least, you know, they're they're functionally municipalities. They're providing all of their, you know, the power and the uh, the water and all the things that uh, is necessary. Cruise ships. That that feels like a bad example, though, because what I've heard about cruise ships is that they they sound a lot better on paper, and when you're on one, they're they're actually kind of miserable. Okay, well, um, I, I suppose you can choose to be miserable on a cruise ship. I've enjoyed the ones I've been on. Okay. Well, I've never been on one because I've always looked into it, and it's like, okay, but, you know, here's the commercial, but in reality, you're going to find that the pool is immediately filled every single day and that the people who wake up at 4 o'clock in the morning are in the hot tub all day and that all of these little venues they have, sure, I mean, they're, they're fun, but they're also filled with people. Right. So there's certainly, um, it depends on the cruise line. Um, I mean, if you're talking about, say, Carnival or something like that, they're getting them as many bodies in place as possible. And I think that the real attraction to these things is uh, drinking alcohol on the water and having as much food as you want to eat. And You don't need a cruise ship for that, though. You just need a boat. A gr- a you don't even fridge. need that. I mean, really, I mean, if you wanted to stay home and eat as much food as you want to eat and drink alcohol, you can do that. Well, you got to sit in the tub, though. And sitting in the tub is less fun than being out in a lake. Yeah, and, and the idea is, is that you have more people that are around you and things like that. So, I mean, there's a whole variety of reasons. See, that's the selling point that I don't get, right? And that's just my antisocialness coming out, I suppose. Sure. But when you say it's like having a good time with people around, <laughs> it's an oxymoron. I, I, get I mean, I, I understand, you know, some people, and I say this here at the Porcupine Freedom Festival, we're expecting more than 3,000 people here over the next few days, if, if there aren't 3,000 people here already. But the, this is sort of different, and it's a huge campground yep. where 3,000 people just doesn't feel like we're talking about 3,000 people on a cruise ship at this point. That's just, that doesn't sound fun. Well, um, nonetheless, but this I, I isn't a free private city. So I'm just the, the ones I've seen is well, that I'm trying to get across is is that it's strange when let's say you decide you're going to move to a city for whatever reason you decide you're going to move there. 
you probably are going to want to figure out how to register to vote at some point. Sure. You're going to care about local politics. You're going to do a bunch of things. However, when I go to a hotel, I never think to myself, I wonder who the effing manager is around here. I, I, I wonder if it's a, the blue team or the red team. I've got to get this person out of here. I'm out of my life. They're giving, they got too much control because I just care whether the toilet flushes or not. Well, and you can always go to a different hotel. That's really, really easy. And that's the idea of free private cities is, is in order to is to, you know, give you another place to go as an actual alternative, because mm. there's not much as far as alternatives go. You no, have every acre of land on the planet or small tyranny in the United States. And that's all your choices are. Yeah. And, and even if you leave the United States, it's, it's, there's still a state that you're going to be dealing with. Some, some government that wants control over you and that's going to make your life difficult. Indeed, there is no uh, perfect perfect option for the libertarian out there right but there are better and worse options and the uh and, and free private cities and what's it called the free cities foundation the free cities foundation that's yeah, right free, free cities foundation's whole goal is to offer you some some forms of alternatives what are some of the ideas that have been come up with here uh, alex sure so i think uh, probably the the key idea that, that we really like to promote is the idea of the resident having an actual contract with the city operator. And the reason why this... Social contract. Exactly. Run this by me. So the city operator, their private business, presumably, so they have a contract with their resident, sort of like a tenant agreement, presumably? Um, I think that that's probably the, uh, one of the good ways to, to think about it, yes. So if you, if you think about how these get started, it's really a for-profit company going to a host nation and negotiating some level of autonomy. Once they have that autonomy, they can more or less buy up uh, a plot of land, develop the infrastructure, and then hope that people move in. And as long as the people that move in sign an actual contract with them, and that contract can say whatever the, the operator wants, but presumably it's in their interest to make it uh, you know, as simple and straightforward as possible, uh, then you know, people have actually voluntarily opted into a system as opposed to this mythical social contract. Yeah, I would definitely prefer the the people writing these contracts to not use a bunch of legalese and jargon and things like that. I like the the plain English sure. version of these things. And there are some companies that will do them, but you know, it's it's rare because if something legal happens, well, attorneys really like all that legalese because yes. it justifies their existence. Agreed, a hundred percent. And um, you know, although it's an attorney that sort of founded the free uh, free private cities idea. He doesn't like that stuff either. Okay. And here on Free Talk Live, we've talked for a very long time. We've said things like, you know, most of the world operates. Most people think in a libertarian fashion. You break something, you, you make good for it. You right. know, you, you know the, the whole world's libertarian, and then the lawyers get involved. Right. They they use the the fringe cases to set the tone. And then, you know, everything goes hay- haywire. And I think that this is this is really the the opportunity is, is that free private cities. The idea is, is that you can have whatever you think that works now. If socialism works, then why not? Why don't all the socialists move to one place and, you know, run a socialist city? That I would love to see that. equality and, and stuff. It, well, it wouldn't work. And they know it wouldn't work. Indeed. And I think that's why they won't do it. They know that they're not going to attract, you know, engineers and biochemists and all of these 
other ultra-specialized careers to their socialist commune. Well, then, um, then the alternative is is that uh, libertarians can set up a libertarian place and try to attract, um, you know, people who want to live under those terms. And if that's the case, if we are able to negotiate with uh, some country to create something like this, then it's, we're all the better for it. Alex, has there been any? Um, well, hold that thought. We're going to have to get back into it. Right? Alex here of the Free Cities Foundation. Is that right. So, what, what is the website? Uh, FreePrivateCities.com. FreePrivateCities.com. There's more coming up here from the Porcupine Freedom Festival. It is Free Talk Live. often or for long periods of time it just it will rain for 10 minutes and it will drop an entire ocean's worth of water (laughs) on you and then it will be sunny and humid and miserable that happens at least one day every year hasn't happened yet this year so come on up the fun is just beginning we have not gotten that miserable squall that we get every year but, of course, you can't make it to the Porcupine Freedom Festival unless you already have tickets or unless you can find them on the black market. I'm sure whatever whatever version of the Silk Road there is right now, uh, if, if I was <laughs> able to, I would sell my extra Porcupine Freedom Festival ticket there. But anyway, with you in the – with you – I say that almost it's every the studio. Time. It yeah. is, this is a studio. I, I guess. It, I guess, yeah. I mean, this is our mobile studio. It's Aria and Mark, of course. And, Mark, and we're being joined by Alex of – Free these Free Cities Foundation. I keep wanting to call it the Free Private Cities Foundation because I've heard the phrase "free private city" so many times. Because yes. uh, I'm running the ad. Yes, <laughs> we we run the ad pr- constantly uh, at here on Free Talk Live. So to me, that's what has stuck out of my mind. So we started talking about some of these projects. One of the I don't know if you guys are involved with the seasteading or anything like that. Like the C- I know there's the Seasteading Institute. I don't know to what extent the Free Cities Foundation actually is involved in it. But one of the most intriguing ones that I've seen were these sort of hexagon-shaped seasteading facilities yep. that would, like, link up with like, like-minded people, and you sort of form a, a city that way. And if you decided you didn't want to be part of that city anymore, you just unhook your hexagon from the beacon and you go find a different one. That sort of thing seems ideal to me because the ocean, it, th- there's no scrap of land on this earth that isn't claimed by a state. Yeah. But they haven't claimed every drop of water. Not every drop of water, no, but um, when it comes to oceans, there's, there's, well, for one, it's a highly corrosive environment, right? I mean, Oh, sure. And uh, it's not as bad as outer space, but it's got some problems. Also, I'm of the opinion that uh, seasteading is probably, you know, it's a great sort of fictional... Idea? Yeah, I, yeah, I tend to agree. I don't think we're going to see an actual seasteading city at any point. In the it's it's too much work for too little a reward. I think. 
Yeah, I don't know how big a city is, and I don't know um, what would uh, necessarily uh, have to occur to make it happen, but I am uh, somewhat uh, skeptical about uh, the idea. And, um, you know, I mean, I, I, I hope the best for them. I don't want, I know the free private cities isn't going to come down and say, seasteading's a bad idea. I'm not saying seasteading's a bad idea. Certainly, certainly not. I didn't, think, I didn't think you were. I would only say that, you know, from an efficiency standpoint, it's probably better just to uh, hop in your car and drive to the next, or, or maybe take an Uber <laughs> to the next city over and uh, rent a place in the city that's less tyrannical than the one that you're in. So I, I remember the free private city state, or uh, ZA is the terminology that sticks most probably in my mind. But that, that, that's sort of a on back. Let's say that's back burner to avoid all of the history there and what's actually going on. I know there's some some government somewhere that is upset and trying to undo the ZAs, and then you have, of course, the government in Florida. What you had basically basically there in Florida was a special economic zone carved out for Disney. Yes, and now Florida, like governments tend to do, is backing out of that deal. It's trying. I'm. I'm. I would think that if I had to come down on that, Disney's got big lawyers. So does the government of Florida. This should be a very interesting thing. Um, it, you know, I think that the the big winner there is going to be the DeSantis campaign, and the you big think loser so? I, is I, I going to be the taxpayers of the state of Florida. Okay, I'm with the only losers. I just <laughs> I just don't see DeSantis benefiting too much from well, this. Well, if DeSantis but. can paint uh, Disney as uh, woke and um, child grooming weirdos, see that's I, let, let's talk about that real quick because um, <laughs> this is exactly what Alex <laughs> wanted for his interview. Welcome to the show. Well, it's like, that kind of show, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> the movie Lightyear is out right now, and evidently uh, people are up in arms now. Lightyear, for those who don't know, it's it's the it's a fictional portrayal of the character that Buzz Lightyear yeah. off Toy Story was to Infinity suppo- and Beyond. Yes, that he was based off of. It's the show that Andy watched, presumably. It was yeah. like, I love this show. And that's how Buzz Lightyear he, he's a character on that show. So presumably there's a lesbian couple kissing at some point during the movie Lightyear. Okay. And, and conservatives on social media at least are really up in arms about this. The, the most bizarre one I've seen was them saying that this is, you know, them grooming kids. But they never make that statement about any straight couples kissing in any Disney movies, and that goes back even further. To me, it's an interesting insight into the minds of conservatives. Like, oh, so that's why you wanted all of these straight couples kissing in your movies, because you were grooming kids? Well, I don't know what it means, but I think that it seems clawing um, and pathetic to, you know, represent small minorities. Like, it, it seems like they're trying really hard, right? Like, a, like we just have to marginalize all the normal folks and have the strangest of things in order to show our, um, you know, our, our signal, to, to, to signal. But and, no, no one would say they were being heterophobic or homophobic if they had a straight couple in the movie kissing i don't think they would it, it seems but, unique to the fact that this, this is not the norm but there are plenty of gay couples out there and personally i don't have any issue with you know if, if a movie wants to portray a, a gay couple if gay people exist right i don't have a problem with it i think that when um when you you know you you've walked into the minefield when you're dealing with kids, right? And I'm willing to go down, uh, you know, down on uh, the, the statement and say, look, if you wanted me to create the perfect nuclear family for a given child, I would say that family would probably have mom, 
and dad and a grandma, a couple of grandmas and a couple of grandpas, and they'd all live in close proximity to each other, and they'd, um, they wouldn't be raging alcoholics. And yeah, <laughs> I mean, that would be a more important thing than what gender the people involved were, right? No, I don't think it necessarily. I think that all of it comes into perfection, right? I, I did no, hold, hold, hold on, because this is really important. Life isn't perfect, right? Right. So what I would, re- if I have to p- move my pieces on the board, and I have, say, a gay couple or a lesbian couple or whatever, I, you know, these days I don't even know what terminology is uh, is acceptable. But let's just use the LGBT uh, terminology. Um, uh, you know, if I have this and I need to put together a family, I'm willing to sacrifice raging alcoholic over heterosexuality, right? Like, I'd rather have one than the other. But I will go ahead and say that all of these pieces would create the perfection. Perfection doesn't exist. Like, in my family, we're largely this, but I yell, you know? Like, you hear me talking right now. I'm not a, you know, like, when I get upset, my voice gets louder, and I yell. Sometimes I cuss. You I know, know that's like, why. When, wh- and I wouldn't call that a perfect family. When Ian was in jail, the compressor that I bought, I put, uh, I put on a sticker on the front. This mark is settings. To remove Mark's markiness. <laughs> right. Because it's like, we needed a dedicated compressor just for for your voice and when you get excited. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, you're right. We, we, we didn't really mean to get off into those weeds. But it's, it's good, I think, for people who share opinions to be able to coordinate and to work together for mutual goals. And that's what we see here in the Free State Project, which, for better or worse, is the most successful thus far we've seen of these liberty migrations. And, and maybe these free private cities, maybe not all of them are liberty migrations. You know, right, that's, that's a very important point, is, is that free private cities is intended to be a model that anybody can uh, use. I'm sorry, Alex. I, go ahead and uh, give your two cents on this. No, I, uh, I think the, the case of, of DeSantis in the Special Creek District in Florida is actually quite an interesting one. It's not uh, so obvious that from a free private city standpoint, at least, uh, that it's something that we should or should not support. I, I don't think we necessarily have a strong view one way or the other. The, the reason why is it's pretty clearly, um, you know, it, it has the advantage of having a little bit of autonomy and, and it's operated and that's why the, the streets are very nice and clean and all of that. Uh, but it's also at the same time very much built for the special privilege of Disney. It's special interest. Exactly. Yeah. A free private city is really a, a bit of a different... Hold that thought. We'll be back in just a moment to talk more about the Free Private Cities Foundation. It is Free Talk Live. distracted because I'm watching my dog just like walk up to random people because they, they give her attention and she's learned from walking around with me and Keen, which is where we normally broadcast out of, the difference between someone who wants to pay attention to her and someone who doesn't, right? If someone makes eye contact with her, she, she knows when she's being greeted and she wants to go and say hello. So she's just constantly doing that. You could come say hello to her, but you've got to come for ForkFest. It's at ForkFest.Party. That's the unofficial website. There are no tickets for ForkFest, so if you want... All you have to do is show up, 
And that gets you in. If you bought a ticket for Forkfest, then you got ripped off. Now, the Porcupine Freedom Festival does have <laughs> tickets, but you can't really easily get them. There, there may be some available on the black market or something like that, but it's sold out. Forkfest, however, you can find out about it at forkfest.party. We'll be here. Um, I'll be here through the entire thing. I don't know who else will be here through the entire thing, but it's, it's going to be a good time regardless. With you today is Aria. And Mark. And we're joined now by Alex of the Free Cities Foundation, talking about alternative, not alternatives to the Free State Project, because I don't want to paint it like as a competitor, but a complementary idea that exists parallel and is working for similar but not identical goals. We left off by talking about the reality that in if you have one of these things set up, it doesn't necessarily have to be a Liberty City if you want to set up a, a tyranny city, a Nazi city, if you want, and, and you could you know draw people Define into Nazis that idea first, I think is what you're going to need to do. Which well, is difficult. We we everyone here but knows you're just what I to mean. Show an extreme yeah. extreme example. Everyone here knows what I mean, right? <laughs> right. And if you want to have a city that's dedicated to you know racist authoritarianism, then you could have that. I, I wouldn't go to it. And I suspect no one here at the Porcupine Freedom Festival much fun would go for to a, it. A visit to me either. But, I mean, you do have people like Scott the Bigot, who is a regular caller. Somebody's going to want to visit. Who, he wouldn't want to visit. He would want to live there. So the, the idea of free private cities, as I understand it, at this point, it's just an idea. Like, uh, Alex, would you say there's a free private city? No, I'd, I'd say that there are uh, a number of attempts that approximate it, but no, uh, no free private cities in the world today. And we're keeping an eye on some places, including New Hampshire, um, as places that uh, may be good ideas. But... New Hampshire is a you know it's a really a different concept. The hope I think with free private cities is that you go to some government jurisdiction and say, hey, we'd like to try our thing, and we'd like as little intervention from you as possible, and we'll send you money, and that's the idea. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And as Aria said earlier, you know I don't think it's necessarily competitive to uh, the Free State Project. It's not competitive to the Libertarian Party. It's another strategy in which people can go about trying to obtain freedom in the world. And it depends on, on the person and their preferences. And as Mark, you like to say, you know, you're, you have to pick the types of freedoms that you're focused on. Uh, and if some of those are, um, if you want you know, tax freedom, then a free private city might, in fact, be the right place. Uh, if you if you prefer living with other libertarians in the free state, maybe more, uh, you know, a more viable option in the short run. So I think Mark's right about that. I think this is why Ian and I drive you crazy, Mark, because I'm not willing to horse trade freedoms. And okay. I, I imagine Ian comes from a very similar, if not identical perspective of, no, I'm either free or I'm not free. I'm not going to barter with you and say, OK, I will submit to your tyranny here if I can be free in this regard. To me, it's, it's an it's an all-or-nothing game, and I want my freedom, and I'm not going to stop until I have it. Or you won't. Or, I'll, or, or the government will I, you know, give vote. me the opposite of maximum unfreedom by you know, trying me in a federal court and throw me in federal prison. You know, that's, that's the way this, this is that played. I'm either free. in the realm of possibility. Yes. And um, for me, I think that you absolutely, we, you know, the, the course of, what is it, the course of human history arcs towards freedom. Yes. And we didn't, it doesn't arc towards freedom because everybody got it all at once. It arcs for, towards freedom because we've gotten dribs and drabs and little bits and we defend some and we lose others and a variety of things um, and over time. So I think the best way to do it is to get the most freedom. And another thing that I think is, is really sort of confusing for people let's look use trash pickup for a second 
So trash pickup occurs in a variety of different places, a variety of different ways. It's usually about the same amount of money. For 20 to $30 a month, you're getting your trash picked up. Now, you can do it in Sarasota, Florida, where the garbage men will leave stuff because you didn't properly bundle it and you didn't properly you know, do it or whatever. Right? Yeah. So then this is the you know, municipal trash pickup. It has to, you have to follow the rules, surf. Or you don't get your trash picked up. Right. Or Keene, New Hampshire, where you can leave a jumble of garbage out there because somebody's paid to pick it up. They're willing to, they say to themselves, well, I either pick up this trash or they'll find somebody who will, and they'll probably charge the same amount. Sure. So both of these are a service provider, but they're, they're providing very similar services. The problem is, is we don't know how much is waste. And we don't know how much is profit. And we don't know any of this stuff. And it's because the government takes over some monopolies, monopolizes some services. And that's the difficulty. I want to separate the government from as many services as possible and find the most efficient. uh, And I think competition is the best way to do this. So I would like to see a city service provider provide me with very little. Sure. They just and I, I have to clarify, I, my position on this has softened to some extent. I don't know if I, if I want to say that I'm willing to horse trade freedoms, but it has become abundantly clear that rather than giving me my freedom, the U.S. government wants to go the exact opposite direction. Yeah, they weren't going to ever make that choice. Well, <laughs> well, we had to test that out to okay, be good. sure. That's right? fine. And we tested it out, and now the results are in. <laughs> they would rather throw me in federal prison yep. than allow me to live a life of non-aggression. So, so my recommendation at to this people- point it's not about it's not about horse trading freedoms. It's more about okay, well that didn't work. <laughs> Let's try a different approach. Well, and th- Look, this has been 20 years doing Free Talk Live for me, and I can see what's not going to work and what is. I mean, it doesn't, take a, it doesn't take a genius to watch, well, this chasing the meter maid thing around is just a bunch of horse crap, you know? <laughs> that, that, that was a series of really poor decisions. In the history, that's what the keen libertarians are known for. The free staters in, in the keen <laughs> era, that's what they're known for now. And it was so easy to... How, how do you take putting money in meters for people so they don't get parking tickets. How do you take that and behave in such a way that the press you get about it becomes negative? You have to fail in a monumental way. It's because statists are incredibly good at using the cathedral in repainting things. I mean, people in Keene really did appreciate the uh, the Robin Hooders putting... No, they don't. No, they didn't. Talk to the people in Keene. Well, that's later. Like, their, their opinion changed. Okay. Fair you point. know, over time. I mean, at first it's like, hey, wow, I didn't get a ticket. That's really awesome. You know, and now it's like, but they bothered Mary or whatever the, the meter maid's name was. Well, because that part was avoidable. Some lunatic comes back from Iraq um, as a, uh, you know, a, a veteran and says, this was worse than Iraq working as a meter maid in Keene, New Hampshire. Are you telling me that I should listen to that as though that's sanity no, coming I'm, out of somebody's no, mouth? No, absolutely not. <laughs> However, it was an avoidable conversation to be had in the first place. It, it, that could have been avoided by just not, I don't want to use the word harassing because they weren't harassing the meter, but, but by avoiding the meter attendants. The, the entire thing could have been avoided. The reason that they um, went after the meter attendants is that's the most efficient way to do it. Yeah, right? they're not wrong, right? I mean, if you get in front of, if you just walk in front of that person, then yeah. they can't give out tickets. I, uh, you know, I was here for all of it, and I have sympathy for everybody who is in the uh, the situation. But I got to say, um, it clearly was a PR loss, and that's because people 
love states. Well, no, it was because Stephen Colbert ripped the free keen people apart. And, and it they was participated. Funny. They did. But they had to know what they were getting into. They right? absolutely like, knew what they were getting into. And they're like, oh, it's going to be publicity. You know, well, it was. All publicity is good publicity. I don't know if I agree with that. Well, but, you know, it, then Stephen Colbert <laughs> must have been good publicity. I don't know. Uh, it could have been spun into good pu- publicity, I guess. But anyway, <laughs> no, it, it certainly was not. So that, that's what's happening here in New Hampshire. There are other things going on. What's the most promising? What, what are you keeping, if you can say, what are you keeping your eye on, Alex, these days? What has you most intrigued? Sure. Yeah, I think uh, th- there are a couple of things that I have to be uh, tight-lipped about, and hopefully we can come back and talk about those in the future. I would say uh, you, you can know, count as- on it. As a little bit of a teaser, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, it is very clear that this idea is growing in interest. You know, special economic zones are a thing of the past. They, there are 5,000 of them across the globe, and uh, they don't really offer anything new. So governments are being forced to provide additional autonomy to places like free private cities. Uh, and in that regard, we are, in fact, different countries. looked in the past few days because really i can't use bitcoin at the moment so it's kind of meaningless to me what it actually does but you should check it out bitcoin.com i'm of the opinion and this is not financial advice it's probably going to continue ascending in value in the long run it it may go down a bit more it may go down to five thousand dollars who knows what it's going to do but i think in the long run bitcoin is a good investment to hedge your bets against the inflation of the u.s government how they're just constantly printing more and more money so learn about it at Bitcoin.com. That's the best place. Just click getting started at the top of the page. Well, we're joined now by a different alternative to the U.S. dollar. Uh, Benjamin of the of Goldback.com, the Goldback Company. We love the Goldbacks here on Free Talk Live. I, I can't use crypto, right? But I can use Goldbacks, and I love it. Uh, it it's such an... I, I don't want to say I like using... Goldbacks more than crypto because I mean obviously I haven't used crypto in the last two years. It may have become a yeah, little bit more seamless. Crypto. I do love crypto, but it is easier to use the goldback, right? It's just an experience that we're all more familiar with. You're just pulling out a a not a sheet of paper because it's not paper, but it's similar, and you're handing that over, and that's the payment, right? You don't have to pull out your phone, unlock it pull up a certain app, scan a QR code, hit send, wait on it to confirm. You don't have to do any of that. Just here, bam, done. That is what Goldback is. It's cash. It is just um, gold 
that is a very thin coin, basically, and you use it like cash because it is cash. It's a real cash money uh, made out of pure 24-karat gold. And so, you know, like you're so saying— So you don't call it a bill? Uh, we don't call it a bill. A bill, actually, is uh, you know a piece of paper that tells you you have to pay money. Yeah, a uh, bill is a debt, right? A bill is a debt. And this is not a debt instrument. This is an asset, an actual okay. asset made out of gold uh, that you're trading real value for value when you use the Bitcoin to uh, make a purchase. And so, um, you know, crypto, I love crypto because it can do so many things that mo- money couldn't before. Sure. But gold backs, gold backs are the best kind of cash money there is. Absolutely. Uh, I prefer crypto. Crypto is useful. They coexist very well, I think. They each solve different problems. Crypto, easily usable online. If you want to buy something from Amazon or whatever, Amazon doesn't yet take cryptocurrency. They will at some point. There are websites that will. Overstock takes Bitcoin, for example. If you want to buy something online or send money online, Bitcoin, cryptocurrency, that's the way to do it. But if you want to pay for something in person, goldbacks are so much more convenient. So last year was the first year that Goldbacks were officially at the Porcupine Fair Festival. They were here the previous year. Um, Ian actually came here with the Utah Goldbacks two years ago, if I have my timeline correct. Yeah, a little more than two years ago, we launched the Utah Goldback in the state of Utah, but New Hampshire Goldbacks have only been here in the free state for about a year, a little more than a year. So Ian had the Utah Goldbacks here two years ago. They were tremendously popular. You know, the, the type of people here, they tend to like gold and silver and cryptocurrency anyway. So it was a really easy pitch for a lot of these places to also accept Goldbacks as well. Once we explained to them what they were and we explained why it was a little bit more pricier than the price of gold. I think in terms of gold, the actual value of these at the time was like $2.50 or something like that. And they were priced for $3.00 because of the the refinement fees and all of that. So once people were sold on the idea, they loved it. And then the next year, of course, Goldback yourselves, you you Mm -hmm. came out, Benjamin, last year. And how did that that go from there? Because I remember at first Mm -hmm. you didn't have a dedicated site. We, We offered to let you set up here, but someone else had an even better site for you. And I think you moved one additional time, if I recall correctly. But then by the end of it, you were right there with Kirby's Q. If you were That's sharing right. a site with them, and right there at the top of the hill, everyone walked by, and it's the New Hampshire go back. New Hampshire is weird in the loyalty the people of New Hampshire have for the state of New Hampshire. Like, if you offer them, here's a Utah oh, yeah, gold they're, back. They're so patriotic, they make Texans look uh, you know, laconic. Yeah, it's, it's very weird. Like, here's a Utah gold back. Here's a New Hampshire gold back. Which one, even if the New Hampshire one is just plain with the word New Hampshire stamped on it, the people here of New Hampshire would go, you know, I don't want that pretty Utah one. I want that one because it's got New Hampshire on it. So... I think that we're, we're talking a lot about Porkfest because we're here, but I've mm-hmm. been able to to watch as a third, sort of dis, more disinterested third party in the use of goldbacks and crypto in Keene, New Hampshire, sort of in the wild. So my friends are often tipping in crypto and in goldbacks and things like that. And the uh, so, for instance, with the the crypto, in many cases they tip with these little tips where they had to go scan a QR code and then go get the crypto. And yeah, that was that would be the crypto tips, right? The crypto uh, tips. At crypto tip, I, I would not recommend using cryptotip.org at the moment because the person who's who was running that, Michael Hampton, has died, and I don't think anyone carried it on. Yeah, I don't know what's precisely going on with it, um, but I would say that probably ninety percent of the crypto tips were not claimed. No, in which case they reverted back to the sending wallet, which is why I would recommend not doing it because whatever mechanism, that server may not even still be going, you know. Which is an interesting um, idea is is that um, the goldbacks, 
whenever the waiters and waitresses are offered a gold back. Nobody says, no thanks. You know, they don't want the, te- you know, they, I'll just take the cash, forget it. So I, what I think is happening, my guess is, is they're taking the gold back, they're taking it home, they're putting it in, you know, next to their um, car's title or whatever in their, in their fireproof box, which I uh, presume everybody has. I wish I had your I wish everyone humanity. did. What, you what think the, they're tossing them? What these people, no, they're tossing them. I don't think so. Oh, I don't think anyone's tossing them. But I do think that a lot of them are losing them or putting them in their sock drawer. Um, uh, okay, so before I was an attorney who worked for Goldback to try to make sure that uh, local currency and we navigated the laws correctly for local currencies and things like that, um, I did a lot of estate planning um, and uh, business law and stuff like that. When I did my estate planning for clients, I would impress upon them just how important it is that they have all their legal documents in a safe place. And I cannot tell you how often, probably more than 50% of the time, people would lose their own will. They would lose their trust sure. documents. They would lose their powers of attorney. And then they'd come back and say, hey, can I get a copy of that? And I'm thinking, look, if you don't know where your papers are, please just find them. I mean, you know... Um, Look, but, I mean, we might not need a license to drive um, if you're one of the purists who believe that we should uh, not have to have a license to drive. But you don't but lose mo- it. But most people know where their driver's license is. Don't just throw <laughs> it away and be like, oh, I don't know. I wonder where I put that. You know? Well, it's more durable than, um, say, a power of attorney or something like that. You're also more license. likely to need a license on a day-to-day basis than you are your power of attorney. I'm, I'm with you on yeah, this. Yeah. People need to be um, you know, responsible for their documents and expect <laughs> expect problems if you're not. Um, but right. I, I, I suppose I see it relatively regularly um, as people losing stuff. I So that's the reason that the New Hampshire Goldback has on it um, voluntary negotiable instrument, whereas yes. the Utah Goldback has on it... Um, I think the word currency is on yeah. the Utah Fire Call. Yeah, correctly. actually, we have changed some of that, by the way, in 2022. Oh, okay. so here's oh there's update. a new run? There's a new run. So the, um, the 2021 New Hampshire Goldback said voluntary negotiable instrument um, because the idea is it's a voluntary local currency. You can use it as a negotiable instrument. In other words, make purchases, do stuff. So hold that thought because I know you've got a big announcement coming up and we want to make sure we get that out on the air here on Free Talk Live. So that big announcement is coming. There's more coming up here from the Porcupine Food Festival, including that big Goldback announcement. It is Free Talk Live. Join liberty-minded voluntarists, anarchists, and libertarians from June 27th through July 3rd for the 6th Annual ForkFest at Rogers Campground in the beautiful White Mountains of New Hampshire. ForkFest is a fork of the Porcupine Freedom Festival, which sold out for the first time in 2021. ForkFest takes place the week after ForkFest, but ForkFest is decentralized, which means that there's no ticket cost and no one is in charge. All you have to do to join the fun is reserve your camping site, RV site, or motel room with Rogers Campground for June 27th through July 3rd. There's no better place to celebrate Independence Day than around other freedom-loving activists in the Shire. You can find out more at the unofficial website, ForkFest.Party. You can also connect with other attendees on the ForkFest Telegram and Matrix chat rooms, as well as the ForkFest Forum. You can find links to those at ForkFest.Party. We hope to see you there. Forkfest.party. You're tuned to the newest episode of Free Talk Live, presented by SACL CAI. Visit us online at freetalklive.com.
people are getting here and they're getting set up. I don't think... I'm not even sure there's anything happening at the pavilion. I haven't checked the schedule, but I know yesterday there was nothing happening at it, which usually on the night of the first day, there's like a karaoke sort of thing. But there wasn't anything, any such thing going on last night. But we're here talking with uh, Ben of the, or Benjamin, sorry. I don't know if you go by Ben. Either way, I go by Ben or Benjamin, just not Billy Bob Joe or any of the other stuff. <laughs> All right, I, I will refrain from calling you Billy Bob Joe then. <laughs> you're, you're representing Goldbacks here, and uh, Goldbacks are extreme. There's so many. We accept Goldback signs here. I, I love it uh, because that wasn't here two years ago. I remember I was the first person to price anything in Goldbacks here, and it, it was a glass of wine for one Goldback or... Or two dollars. I don't remember the. Ter- I don't remember the pricing at this point. It was cheaper to use gold back, if I remember correctly. So whatever that came out to be, and the sign actually said, you know, blood of Christ, one gold back or whatever. Oh God! Oh no! Well, it was red wine, right? So it was really funny, and uh, that's the kind of trolley thing that I like to do. And you know, it it went well. I made plenty of gold that year. And then the next year, there were even more. That was the year I think that Ian was up here with the Utah goldbacks. And the next year, you guys were here and. This year, there's We Accept Goldback stickers on everything. Like, I was just walking around last night looking, and, oh, look, I think there's probably more Goldback stickers around here than there are crypto stickers. And if you've been following the Porcupine Freedom Festival for any length of time, that's an amazing statement. I can't remember what year it was, but it was um, a a year, and I think it was uh, 2012, um, the Pork Fest of that year, the Porcupine Freedom Festival of that year, was called the first Bitcoin event, and uh, sounds I about it was right. Six dollars at the time, and that um, you know people were. I remember Doug's smoothies and a variety of uh, places were you know accepting crypto. Sure, well you can, we'll take your crypto. Hopefully they kept it because they're pretty wealthy right now. So we're talking with Ben here about the goldbacks, and we were talking about the language on them because I remember when the New Hampshire one first released because of the state laws or whatever, the, the Utahs said voluntary, comma, local currency. So it's a local currency to, Levo- to Utah that is, you know, voluntary. I'd say currency should be. But the New Hampshire ones, in contrast, said voluntary negotiable instrument because there's something about the word currency in New Hampshire law. I don't know the specifics of it because I'm an attorney. But you mentioned—I I don't even remember now what the Nevada one said. I, I imagine it was— what? I believe that it was the voluntary local currency as well, same as Utah. So, so what's going on with the, with the verbiage now? Because you said it's changing. Because right. now these, these Utah goldbacks that I have, they're, they're a collector's item, in effect, because you're not going to be able to find the ones that say that anymore. You know, in fact, if you're looking for collector's value, one of the things to consider, too, is how fast our market cap is growing. When I was at Pork Fest last year, we were selling less than a million dollars a month. About a half a million dollars a month was moving into the goldback system. Um, we're doing over $5 million a month now. That's I, great. I, that, that is fantastic. Where, do you, I, I where are you seeing your it. growth? What's it from? So our growth really is... Um, the largest portion of our growth, I wish it was uh, just freedom lovers, uh, biggest sure. part of our growth really is the gold markets. Um, people are seeing that this is the most liquid form of gold, and and actually it makes it possible for gold investors to avoid the premiums and some of the traps that there are. Because it's a currency, it can actually um, be transferred at an exchange rate. And so basically what that means is you don't lose your money. You're not buying low and selling high. You're not buying high and selling low. You're just exchanging it for value for value. Okay. 
And so you you don't end up paying as high premiums, essentially. So there must be a premium. I mean, it doesn't. The technology behind a gold back is such that somehow you infuse gold into a plastic filament or something like that. Right. Yeah. So it's 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 got a plastic container. It's basically like lamination. You can think of it that way. And I'm pretty sure they don't do that for you for free, right? No, no. In fact, it's very uh, energy intensive. Yeah. uh, Is where most of the cost comes in. Uh, It's called vacuum deposition. Okay. It's this very exact thing. Uh, If you picture three D printing in your mind. You've got a you're, you're depositing material. We're doing the same thing except we're doing it in a vacuum chamber with a laser with gold atoms. And so we're depositing wow. the gold atoms basically one at a time. Of course it'd take forever if we were counting them out. But um, uh, we basically create a spray with these lasers that then 3D prints the gold in the exact quantity that we want. And in the, this in, in the smallest case it's one one thousandth of an ounce of gold. Correct. Which makes Troy it the ounce. smallest uh, gold product in the world. It's so a very really? tiny amount of gold. That that that's a interesting claim to fame. I love that. I love it because it makes it it made it useful, right? right. Like carrying around a one one thousandth of an ounce of gold five years ago would have meant carrying around a little tiny speck of gold that I was going mm-hmm. to lose. Yes. But yeah, a tiny BB, yeah. you know, of gold is all that is. So the one niggle I may uh, have here is is that. You had all the measuring opportunities in the world, and you picked ounces. Like, why not uh, grams? I mean, this is the grams of the future, ounces of the past. Isn't troy ounces like the standard for gold, though? That's right. It troy, is the and, which makes it even more confusing, though, of course, because a troy ounce is not the same as an ounce. No, it's a different type of ounce. So, are just these troy ounces or ounces? These are troy ounces. There's okay. twelve troy ounces in a troy pound. Troy, yeah. A tr- uh, God knows, it's absolutely ridiculous. But uh, this, and this is why I should I say that we need a metric. We need a metric but version for people who. Uh, I, I don't agree at all. This is afraid it, of math. This is the metric version because this takes that confusing nonsense and it's one two hundredth or one one thousandth or one one tenth or whatever. It's none of this. Oh well, this is this is one sixth of a half of a, a troy ounce or anything like that. It's like no, this is one two hundredth of a troy ounce, and that's all I need to know. Well, in fact, all you really need to know is it's one gold back or five gold back or 10 gold backs because it's its own currency. It's its, it's own true. denomination of currency. And then you never have to rethink all of the weird measurement stuff. There's just a simple exchange rate. You know the value of a gold back. Right. Basically, um, you know, we, what we do in Keen is we say it's $4 for a one. And yeah. uh, you can pretty much anybody can multiply by four. Yeah, and it makes it very, very simple. I think technically that t- today's, uh, this is the International Trading Currency Exchange. Uh, it is $3.91 to yep. be very, very precise. But who wants to carry around, if you're carrying around gold, you do not want to also be carrying around a big old pocket full of pennies just to be super precise about the international exchange rate. No, my take on this seems to be that if, I, if I'm paying someone in one currency, it would be lunacy to expect change in a different currency. So if I, like, they have, uh, you know, chicken quesadillas over here for, I think they were $10. Now, most people would say 3 for $10 would be the price of gold bags, but they, they seem to be new to the gold bag thing, so I gave them 4 It would be crazy for me to give them four gold bags and to expect back two USD in, in change for this. Wait, no, you either give me my change back in gold or I don't get change, and in this case, I, I just don't get change. That's the nature of the beast at this point. I didn't pay you 12 USD to get back $2 in USD. I gave you four gold back. It's my fault for using this currency, 
But the, that, this is the activist approach, right? I'm the one sure. who chose to use this as a currency, so I'm willing to use it as a loss to encourage people to adopt it. Now, not everybody does that, though. We do actually have a currency calculator that will tell you down to the penny exactly how much change in fiat you can use. Uh, if you want to do a, uh, something smaller than one gold back, you can get change in fiat. And it does all the math for you, so that um, it's available on goldback.com. Just go to the currency calculator and all that. But I'll, I'll agree. It's so much easier. It's four to one. But you know what's even better? Price it in moments. If you go through your price list, um, as, you, as a business that accepts gold backs, there's dozens of them. More about this and pricing things in gold back here on Free Talk Live. about that yeah as in fact uh, not just not just me but goldbacks too will be at Freedom oh that's Fest. true july the 13th through the 16th i'll be joining thousands of passionate defenders of liberty at the mirage in las vegas for freedom fest it's the world's largest gathering of free minds freedom fest is an intense rewarding four-day conference like no other with big debates world-class speakers, a film festival, social events, the trade show for liberty, and much more. This year, I'm talking about locating liberty with hundreds of other premier speakers and top-level experts in a wide range of topics. It's uh, speakers like, you know, Glenn Beck, Art Lauffer. Um, I can't, I, can you help me out with this? The guy's name is Zubby Udize. Just pick one of the different Zubi. names. There's like 15 different names here. I know, for exactly but he's that really popular. <laughs> John Mackey from Whole Foods, Glenn Greenwald, Del Bigtree. Um, quite You're a probably, few more. That's probably the first time anyone on the show has attempted his name, by the way. Okay. The rest of us just go, nope, skipping that one. <laughs> <laughs> I should have done a, um, you know, something. Some and there goes that trash can. Bravo, dude. Expo. Explanation is too. I'm just. We we are here at a festival, and I am watching a truck just run right over a trash can. Crosby. (laughs) (laughs) Crosby's truck is a different color, isn't it? It's black. Well, it may very well be then. (laughs) Freedomfest.com. Use coupon code FTL50. You get 50 bucks off your ticket. I'd love to see you there. Hang out. We're going to be talking about all kinds of good stuff. It's freedomfest.com, and it is a delightful event. As it happens, that was in fact. Crosby. Crosby. Yeah, we need to. He's going to be on the show with us. He is the owner of he Rogers can run over any trash can he Yes, wants. he absolutely can. He is an awesome guy. He's probably like, you know, screw that trash can. This is my trash can. I'll run over it if I want. Crosby's been through something. You know Man, what I mean? he, <laughs> he doesn't care. He is up there in age. Uh, this isn't, and so he's close he broke to 90. His hip. Uh, last year, late last oh, year, yeah. he's, and, uh, he's close to ninety dude. years old, but he is out here. He, I haven't seen him out on a tractor this year, but just last year he's out here on a tractor. It's just, dude works hard, yeah. it, and it is amazing how well he's kept this campground in the condition that it's in. I mean, absolutely an amazing place, the best campground in New Hampshire. That is Rogers Campground. You can join us here for Fork Fest. However, we're joined now by Ben of Goldback because the 
the arc of Goldbacks here at the Porcupine Freedom Festival has just been this amazing thing where one year it was this neat little oddity that Ian happened to have, and the next year you guys were here and it exploded in popularity. And this year is even more popular where I'm seeing, I think uh, the penguin booth here next to us, they have stickers that say, you know, we'll, we'll take your gold backs and these different cryptos. And if we absolutely have to, we'll take your filthy fiat. But those stickers, they didn't even exist last year because the, the gold back was still so new then. So it's amazing. And you were talking about, you know, the easiest way to avoid all of these pricing issues that we're having. Like, and this is what I did two years ago when I sold, you know, wine for goldbacks. Is I, I don't want to give people, have people giving me a goldback and then me being expected to give them back a dollar because in my mind, why would you pay me in one currency and then get back change in a different currency? To me, that's, that's a crazy mindset. The price is one goldback. That's it. And the same thing here for the for the chicken quesadillas that I bought. Sure, uh, most people would do three for $10, and I think that's probably, you know, that's whatever. People, people can do their own thing, but to me, I wasn't paying $12 for a chicken quesadilla and expecting back $2. I was paying four gold backs. So I would rather see that being priced just outright as four gold backs or three gold backs or whatever they feel like works for them. And, and you know, that's the thing, too, is uh, what's a measure of value? We use a dollar as this measure of value so that we understand uh, what something's worth. You know, if I say it costs a million dollars, you have an idea of what that means. Right, it's a unit uh, of measurement. It costs one dollar, you have an idea of what that means. It's a unit of measurement. And and it, it just sucks that most people are more familiar with that. Like if I tell people, oh, yeah, it's worth, you know, a half an ounce of gold, they're like, oh. They they won't understand that until they break it down into USD and they go, oh, it's about $1,500. But that's just a matter of familiarity. Right. And so the better thing we can do is we need to break the mental shackles. I agree entirely. That we assume that the dollar is the end-all be-all. Let's not measure things like that in our minds. You can price your things in goldbacks. So, for example, I was one of the first vendors to accept goldbacks. Before I worked for the company, I had a law firm. And nice. my partner and I agreed that we would accept goldbacks as payment for our legal services. And I made a price chart. We figured out what would be a 10% savings. If they paid us in goldbacks, we'd give them 10% off. So we figured out exactly what our hourly rates and our other flat fees would be in goldbacks and made a price chart with the dollars on one side and the goldbacks on the other. So this happened. About a year later, somebody came in and said, well, I'm not paying you goldbacks. That's worth so much more. And I said, no, no, no. It's 10% off if you're paying goldbacks. And they said, well, you got to check it out. Here, let's pull up the exchange rate. Let's pull up what the dollar's worth. The dollar had lost more than 10% of its value in that one year. Ah. And the gold back was worth considerably more. <laughs> ah. And I was like, oh, my goodness. Well, that's a problem, right? Uh, it wasn't a problem. The gold back price wasn't the problem. The problem was is I hadn't updated my dollar price, and I was selling my services for dramatically less. And that's basically what's happening this year, I think, with inflation, is people are starting to figure out that the dollars really aren't worth very much. It and is so tricky. they're upping their prices because they just they can't afford to do it like that anymore. It's, yeah, it's like happening all over as vendors and uh, business people are they have to raise prices. Well, imagine right. trying to build a house where the amount of wood that you could buy for one foot was constantly changing. Where you go to measure it as like one foot, okay, it's twelve inches, but by the time you get back with that one foot of wood, suddenly the U.S. government has decreed, oh no, it's eleven point six inches now, and you got to that's that's how uh -huh. the U.S. inflation is constantly working. The USD is just a unit of measurement, right? It's just for us to gauge, the, to measure the What's value of a thing. Value. <laughs> Maybe. 
Well, it's well, measuring yeah, value, <laughs> even if the dollars themselves are worthless. That's what a currency is. It's a measurement of value, and the USD is terrible at it because it's constantly changing value. It's like using, it's like it's like trying to build a house where the the distance of a foot is constantly decreasing. It's completely useless, and that's why the USD is so bad. It's not a good unit of measurement for value, and that's the one thing a currency is supposed to do. And just think, it's the best measurement of all the fiat currencies. <laughs> which is why we don't like fiat currencies here, which is why we prefer things like... I prefer to think of a gold back in, in, in some other terms, but even now I'm so steeped in USD, which is what you were talking mm-hmm. about, where I think of gold back not as one gold back, but as $4. And I hate admitting that because I should be able to, just based on how often I use gold backs, to think, okay, one gold back is one taco, or whatever whatever other quantity of goods and services right. I may be able to buy, but instead it, it boils down to my mind to that common denominator that is the USD, and I hate it. You know, the most amazing thing, too, about gold is that, uh, well, yes, its purchasing power goes up and down some, but in general, for thousands of years, it's been about the same. And so one gold back um, right now will buy you a dozen eggs or a gallon of milk or something like that, if you think about it in those terms. Oh, that's my, good. A dozen eggs. I like a that. A dozen one. eggs or a gallon of milk or a gallon of gasoline uh, is roughly one gold back. And my guess is, is that in a thousand years, one gold back will buy you a dozen eggs, a gallon of milk, a sandwich, something like this. Probably not gasoline. <laughs> Probably I not guess gasoline. this is not going to Ho- be here. Hopefully we <laughs> move on from gasoline in a thousand years at least. I, I don't know what things were like a thousand years ago, but it just it blows my mind to think that, that, that a, a peasant or a chicken farmer or something could have gotten a thousandth of an ounce of gold. Well, they couldn't have they wouldn't a, had it. They would uh, have had silver. They would have had silver. Well, or bronze or, or something like that, yeah. But the equivalent of a, a thousandth of an ounce of gold. I mean, because when we think about, you know, these people a thousand years ago, we think about them living in poverty where they had absolutely nothing. But that isn't... They ne- had metals. Yeah, that may not necessarily have been the case. Yeah. So tell us about the big announcement. Okay, so um, the 2022 goldbacks are updating the legal language. We've done a lot of research on this. Uh, we've been using, for example, you mentioned in New Hampshire, the Voluntary Negotiable Instrument. Uh, it'll now say, all of the goldback series in all the states will say the same thing. They're going, it's going to say, Specie Legal Tender Instrument. Specie Legal Tender Instrument. Interesting. So, well... You'll have to wait just a few more minutes to explain that. That's coming up. So what is a specie legal instrument? We're going to talk about that here on Free Talk Live from the Porcupine Freedom Festival. There's more coming up. It's Free Talk Live. at amps.freetalklive.com. That's amps.freetalklive.com. All it takes is $5 per month. That gets you in, and it comes with a number of cool little features, like there's an amp-only chat room on the Matrix server. There's an amp-only Facebook group. You can get access to an amp-only podcast. But if you join the Amps program, the reason you should do it is because you like the show, you value the ideas of liberty, reaching... 
half a million people, it's estimated, daily on close to 200 radio stations. Check it out at amps.freetalklive.com. That's amps.freetalklive.com, as Kristen here has done. Kristen, thanks so much for your contributions. We're talking here with Ben of goldback.com. Uh, they're extremely popular here at the Porcupine Freedom Festival. As we were just discussing, they're called Specie Negotiable Instruments. That, yeah. That's the new verbiage. That's Specie being, Legal Tender Instruments. That's it. So, And so what, what is that? <laughs> yeah. So specie. Specie is a word we don't use very much. It yeah, that means, means gold, right? It means or precious metals. Precious metals, okay. It means precious metals. Legal tender. Does it? Oh, okay. Yeah. So specie uh, is not species as in like what species is this uh, flower or something. It okay. is specie as in um, precious metals, uh, payments in precious metals. Legal tender because this is uh, one of the ways that we are going to be shielding the product uh, project from some legal liabilities. We want to make sure as we're making an alternative currency that we're not uh, getting in trouble with the Federal Reserve in any way. So Good we are, choice. That happened with the uh, Liberty Dollar, that's for uh, sure. That's right. So we have, we've taken pains, great pains, to make sure that everything they even complained about, not even necessarily um, is a legal issue, but even a legal argument that we, has ever occurred, that we're not violating any of those rules, trying to make sure that we stay on everybody's good side. That's why it's a complementary currency. So what are we doing? The legal tender instrument is that this instrument, the goldback, is not just made out of gold, and it is. It's made out of 24-karat pure gold. It can also be exchanged for legal tender gold according to the U.S. Mint. So the United States Mint does mint gold and silver coin. Do they? They do. Oh, yeah. And that gold and gold silver eagle? coin. Yeah, the gold eagle uh, is the silver most eagle. famous uh, coin, at least around here. There's other countries do the maple, you know, Canada does the, does the maple leaf, and there's a British Royal Mint uh, coins as well, but... Um, I knew the, the I knew about kangaroos the down Canadian in, uh, maple leaf so. thing, but it's just surprising to me. I mean, I, I'd never heard it because I, I wouldn't buy my gold from the U.S. government if given the option of buying gold from a private person or from the U.S. government. I would tell the U.S. government to screw off. Well, um, the Constitution, one of the actual roles of uh, the U.S. government is to standardize weights and measures. Right. So the idea is is that if you are getting. Um, a gold piece from the U.S. government or any government that they're hanging their reputation on how pure it is and how much it weighs. And that's the one. Those are the things you want to know when you're accepting a gold coin. If you just have the, uh, you know, the one ounce mark, um, you don't know whether some whether it's a piece of lead that's been painted, you know, been covered in gold or, or whatever the case may be. Well, I would trust the I would trust the gold bags long before I trusted the U.S. government. I mean, governments have a long history of clipping coins and watering down currencies, and you know, pinning lead gold and things like that. And and while it is true that we do have much higher quality control standards than the U.S. government, <laughs> um, it is also that. a great legal protection for us that as a specie legal tender instrument, the gold back not only being made out of gold can also be exchanged. For U.S. minted gold and silver coin, is this that's generally true of? Like, would the U.S. government do that, or that would be like through a third party thing? Where, like, if you had, what is the mechanism of that? Because I'm curious. So, the U.S. government doesn't take gold backs, right? The U.S. government is not involved in our project in any way, but uh, the United Precious Metals Association does have vaults filled with U.S. minted legal tender gold um, and silver. And we at Goldback, as a company, guarantee this as an instrument. You can exchange it for U.S. minted legal tender gold. Now, this, this addresses a couple of concerns. Not only the legal ones I just mentioned, there's another concern. People say, well, what about melting it down? What if I want to make jewelry out of my Goldbacks? Now, you can do that. Uh, the gold is fully recoverable, but you have to have a proper crucible. 
So if somebody is thinking, oh, I'm just going to take a lighter or throw this in my little furnace, um, they're going to have some difficulty with the um, polymer coating that we yep. use. Um, now, a proper crucible, that will vaporize before the gold melts, um, and then you'll be perfectly fine. But And we do it all the time. We recover the gold from the goldbacks regularly. Um, but in this case, what you can do is if you say, oh, but I've got 1,000 goldbacks. I need one ounce of legal tender gold. Mm-hmm. You can exchange those all day with us. Partly because they're actually worth more as goldbacks. Yeah. The goldbacks are worth more per ounce than the U.S. minted legal tender gold. Well, that's because you know of the artwork, the collector's value, and the the refining process. That well, goes and the into marketability. It, right? It's just simply ah, more. It's more liquid. It's yep. easier to spend. People are more apt to accept it, and our again, like I said, our quality standards actually are higher than the than the uh, federal government. It's also divisible, right? Like that that mm-hmm. one ounce gold coin or whatever from the U.S. government. That's a one ounce gold coin. You can't break that into a thousand pieces. But with right. the gold back, you can break that into a thousand pieces, and that's and in, that's that's the first development of its kind in human history. Yeah, to the, to that extent, it really is, and so that that way you can buy any normal thing like the dozen eggs with a gold back. You can't do that with a uh, a gold eagle. The, the if you want to buy a U.S. minted gold eagle, uh, right? Uh, it's about two thousand dollars, and you cannot get change in anything smaller than two thousand dollars. So if you're buying lunch with a gold eagle, <laughs> you are buying two thousand dollars worth of lunch. <laughs> yeah, that's the, um, the, the the divisibility thing. I think is the real sort of killer app. So if you've got a if you're if you're a vendor selling a two thousand dollar item, you really can't afford to take gold in all likelihood because you'd have to be relatively wealthy. A person who's selling things for two thousand dollars is probably not selling them a every day and b um, you know they've got some they've got their money tied up in these uh, yeah. these things. Whereas if you're selling sandwiches for ten bucks and you're taking gold three goldbacks, two goldbacks, whatever the number is to to get your um, sandwich. You know, no problem. You can you know make a sandwich, and I'll take these and I'll put them in my uh, lockbox, mm-hmm. or I'll spend them, or whatever mm-hmm. you can choose to do with them. It's a um, you know you can afford that kind of uh, adventure. Whereas mm-hmm. the two thousand dollar adventure is an expensive adventure. Right. Well, I mean, it depends on what you're selling. I, I can imagine sure. a car dealership, you know, accepting ounces of gold and I can tr- imagine payment it, for a car. But I'll bet they wouldn't. I mean, like I, I, I bet if you walk into every car dealership with a little stack, uh, you know, a stack of ten or uh, twenty. Um, gold coins and try to negotiate um, a car sale with those 10 or 20 coins and, you know, just trying to figure out, all right, um, I'll give you a 14. Okay, 15. Well, it would or depend whatever on the owner, doing. right? I mean, that? It would depend on the owner. If it was a local, you know, car dealer with, you know, 50 or 60 vehicles, you'd Certainly probably have some more car luck. dealers will take it, but some will say, sorry, we just can't do it. Our margins are too low, and we've got to sell this in U.S. dollars so we can buy another car so we can sell it again. Well, and the biggest problem, of course, is, is honing in on that price. Yep. If they're worth $2,000 each coin, you can sell a $2,000 used car, a $4,000 used car, or a $6,000 used car, but you cannot sell a $5,000 used car right. for gold coins. You have to have some other medium of exchange, some other measure of value to get in between the value of those. Well, I certainly have had uh, tenths of a, uh, a gold Old ounce and um, you tenth know, is probably the most reasonable denomination that you're not likely to lose. I would imagine. Right. But, but here's here's the next problem: if you have ten tenth ounce coins and one one ounce coin, you'd think they would be fungible. They'd be interchangeable, right? Yes. It's the same amount of gold. They are not. There is a different premium on every gold and silver product in this world except the goldback. Yeah. Goldbacks have full fungibility. So if you have a 50 goldback note, which is 1 20th of a troy ounce, or you have 50 ones, 
They're completely interchangeable. You can make change. You can hone in on any price, and there is no difference in premium. Whereas, yeah, with these tenth ounces, the one if you want to buy a tenth ounce coin right now, very few sellers will sell it for much less than about three hundred dollars. And yet, the um, the one ounce coin is about two thousand dollars. And so you're looking at a completely different premium. And that destroys fungibility, which destroys the measure of value, which once again makes it not functional as a currency. So if you were needs to, to be a measuring stick that doesn't change. If you were to try to swap one of these one ounce gold coins for, you know, tenth ounce coins, you'd you'd more likely to get nine. Right. Instead of ten, wow, uh-huh. that's I didn't I didn't realize. Which is crazy because you'd think, yeah, well, no, I'm I just want change. I want to change in my my one ounce for ten tenth ounces, and they'll be like, no, no, we'll give you eight, we'll give you nine, something like that. And I'd like to announce right here on Free Talk Live, you go to freetalklive.com, get a hold of us, and we'd be happy to accept uh, goldbacks for advertising. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, uh, MarketFreeTalkLive.com. Sure <laughs> yeah, so shoot Mark an email on that. Uh, ben, thank you awesome. so much for joining us. Uh, what, what are your thoughts about this year versus last year for the Porcupine Freedom Festival for Goldback? I know you guys are major sponsors. I think you're one of the biggest two sponsors. Yeah. So. so, yeah, the first time I arrived here, uh, we just were like, I don't know, I guess I need a tent or something. And we just kind of <laughs> joined in with you guys. Um, this year was a much bigger, a much more exciting uh, year. We uh, we sponsored. We've got a nice big pavilion. We offer all kinds of monetary exchange services. We'll, t- we'll do crypto. We'll do foreign currency. We'll do gold, silver, anything. Um, we offer those full services for no fee during the podcast. Absolutely amazing. Well, thank you, thank you for your service and thank you for being out here. We're always excited to see you. That's Ben from Goldback.com. That's Goldback.com if you want to learn more. We're out of time for tonight, but you can check back with us. We'll be here at Fort Pine Freedom Festival. It's Free Talk Live.